this is the sport that I do. Like, you know, I've done this sport since I was 11, 10 years of age. I've dedicated and sacrificed my whole life to this sport. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM, the sports breakfast show from off the ball. Seven on this Wednesday morning. Very welcome along to OTB AM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball with myself, Shane Hannan, and Nathan Murphy. Good morning. Good morning. I like that introduction, Shane. Yeah. Straight into it. A bit of energy and enthusiasm. No messing, no messing. Colin Bouhey, good morning. So I was uh, trying the TV last night, you know, and at this time of the year I kind of flick between BBC One and BBC Two. This is one of those times. For reasons I'm sure that you can understand. Of course. Yeah. So uh, it defaulted to TV and went straight to BBC One last night. Who's on the screen? Live on the one show with Jermaine Genus, Andy Ridgely. Oh, who's from Andy Wham. Ridgely? From Wham. Wham. Right. Who's Andy Ridgely? I, this guy didn't. Had never heard of, uh, of uh, Club Tropicana. Had never heard of the I, song like, Club sorry, Tropicana I hadn't until seven twenty-five a.m. yesterday. Not that I hadn't heard of it. I had heard of it, but it wasn't on my. It's not my Spotify playlist. Like Cameron, who's much your junior. Yeah, it's true. Was it singing along to it there beforehand? It's not on anyone's Spotify playlist, but it just pops up in your life. It's uh, essential to people's lives. So I nearly dropped the remote chain with excitement. Can you be starstruck with someone on TV? I was like, that's the Andy Ridgely nowadays. So. He's very placid now. It's a totally he? different character to the one that's in the documentary. Of course, no. you wouldn't notice because you haven't seen the documentary. Yeah. You need to see it. One more person saw it since yesterday. Emma right. Carroll. Do you know, I, I talked about Bridges yesterday for like maybe yeah, he 20, heard, he 20 seconds. That was dull. That was dull. That was dull. The Bam documentary was far more interesting. Yeah, but this is the I've third one. I've seen the documentary. So. Have you? You seem shocked. Like, this is the most popular documentary around right now. Uh, come here, have you? not some sort of niche <laughs> thing that you've discovered. <laughs> come here now. <laughs> come here. I was asking people around the, uh, who was on the show. It's like, have you seen it? No, no, no. And you're mad. Of course I've seen it. Yeah. Just landed in there. He was waiting for it. I don't know why he saw it. Why? Because you saw it. No. Because it's excellent. Right, right, right. And right. the anticipation was there. And the trader was it was excellent, Nathan? Oh, absolutely. Brilliant. Uh, just in that, much like, I'm not going to compare to the Beatles documentary, Get Back, but again, this narrative was built up for decades around Lennon and McCartney and they're falling out. And actually, this was, like, the brilliance of Get Back was sort of the genius in the monotony of them just sitting there and getting on and chatting and creating some of the greatest songs of all time. And obviously around Wham, there's that sense that, well, George Michael went here and Andrew Ridgely was just left behind. And Ridgely is just no bitterness at all. Just a He's the coolest, coolest cat going. Were they, they were friends up until Michael's death, yeah? Yeah, well, what, yeah. I, mean, I watched this, that Parkinson documentary from 1998. So that's like le- yeah. 10 years after they broke up and he's like... Well, we don't see each other that much anymore, but I know he surfs in Cornwall and he made the smart decision. But it didn't seem like there was any animosity. Right. But I don't think they saw each other much. No, I think they just they drifted apart because like. they, uh, well, George Michael obviously went on to bigger and better things. So uh, Emma Carroll sent me a photo of the thumbnail okay. of the documentary on Netflix last night. And I only saw the message about an hour and 10 minutes later, which is towards the end of the documentary. Right. So I'm not going to say anything. The thumbnail so, so that's anything. all I have to do to no Emma was like I'm about to watch it because ah, right. I, I didn't even realise the timeline I always assumed that the George Michael solo era just began after Wham but actually he was doing a lot of his own stuff like the his yeah. ascent to superstardom had Can, happened in the latter years at a bar Careless Whisper mm. uh, originally was like not do it yourself boy. no bother 
Have you have you basically batteries. over the last three mornings told me the entire plot, or is it still worth? Well, there's no plot. It's a true story. <laughs> it's not succession here. No, not the plot, but like the the order of which. The doc- I, like, I don't want to tell you what happens after <laughs> the documentary finishes. Yeah. But it's, it's not yeah. Well, what's the problem? One. Like, well, good for one of the characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But like, you know, I mean, what I mean by that is, mm. you, like, all the interesting stuff you've kind of. You know, Peter. No, that, no, that's promotion. That's called promotion. Mm, okay. You, you're going to watch this and be like, "Wow!" Because all at the moment, all you're hearing is me talking about it. You have to see it in motion, in right. pictures, and talking. Okay. And it's done. In, you love Azivkapedia. You do, love yeah, Senna. Yeah. His, it's his the exact same style of documentary. Okay. Anyway, Emma came in this morning and she was like, "This is how she saw. It. This is how she said it to me. This is very good." She was like, "I was worried, Colin. Oh no, I was worried after Fair. all the build up." And what did she say? I wish there was a part two. Ah, well, well, part two, of course, would have been... But there's just a general niceness to the documentary. Sometimes these documentaries you expect to be built up as the true story of the Mm. breakdown between Ridgely and Michael. There's none of that. And, you know, and it's it's still every bit captivating. What do you call him? Yug? Yug. Because his real name, his actual name, like his Greek name. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And he was cool, like, you know, cheeky chappy cockney geezer, like... Ridgely or George Michael? Ridgely. And George, oh, Ridgley George, was George, George was the awkward oh, one. We like. are getting to ruin it. Like, Ridgely, you know, when they started out, Ridgely R- was, was the boy, like. Right. Handsome, like, wardy age, he's very well. It suited him. Okay. Swagger. I'm going George to Michael it. grew into himself. He did. Yeah. He, he did. Was, and, and he, he would say. He, because when the pictures back in the day, like, what? this guy, like, my sister was devastated yeah. over George Michael's preferences. Right. Put yeah. it that way. Jesus, yeah. I I will watch it before the weekend. You won't though. I will. Because I've been on too about Boiling Point for a while. Boiling Point, yeah. The reason I'm put off Boiling Point is because I watched Uncut Gems, which I'm told is as stressful it's, a movie it's, as Boiling yeah, Point. Yeah, but I don't like stressful It's movies. far more relatable. Have you worked in the service industry? I have. You've got, you've got to watch That's it. That's why I don't want to watch it. Oh no, you, you don't work there anymore. No, I don't. You service the people now instead. Well, there you go. You so know? Still in the service industry. So. In a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will watch it though before the weekend. That's that's actually a promise, Touchwood, that I will that I will watch it. Uh, Nathan, you weren't watching it last night because you were in Tallis. I missed Stadium. the one show. Now, there's very few things that take <laughs> me away from the one show Fair. of a Tuesday evening. Yeah. But Shamrock Rovers in Europe uh, is one of those rare things. Mm. And yeah, it was a. I won't say it was a shit show, but it wasn't far off. It was an absolute yeah. disaster. It was as poor a Shamrock Rovers performance as we've seen in Europe uh, at this stage of the competition in qualifying for yeah. a long, long time. Their home record over the last couple of years in qualification has been very good, but this was a massive wake-up call for, for Stephen Bradley. Uh, probably a, a matter for everybody around Rovers as to exactly where they are. In some ways, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like, they're four points clear at the top of the league, but they've played 25 games. They've won 13 of them. Yeah, so great. they're just about getting by because everybody below them is beating each other. And while the standard of the league has probably come up, like Rovers aren't any better than last year. In fact, they're a lesser team than last year. When you look at the fact that Andy Lyons isn't there anymore, obviously Danny Mandre was pretty much gone by Europe last season. Anyways, Chris McCann has gone in the middle of midfield. And la- last night in the first half was shocking. Yeah. I could not believe how poor Rovers were in that first half. Like they were like the away team, couldn't string passes together. This Icelandic side, uh, Breidablik. Now they've had the advantage of a couple of European games. They came through a little mini qualifying tournament, so bit of momentum, bit of form. Mm. But Rovers, strong favourites to progress from this tie, and Breidablik in the first half played them off the park. Like they played like the home side, dominated possession, were slick in passing. I thought Rovers, I think the way they set up was too negative playing at home in the first leg. Yeah. Like they played, as always, played three at the back, but they played two holding midfielders, uh, two full two wing backs who never got forward in the first half, 
at all. And then Jack Byrne and Dylan Watts as the two behind Rory Gaffney. Byrne is always going to drop incredibly deep. Watts never got up near Gaffney. So you had this scenario where Jack Byrne would get in the ball and he twists and he turned and he twists and he turned and he go back and he go back and his only ball was a long ball to Gaffney, who in fairness, he made the mistake in the build-up to the goal, but was, you know, I thought the best player on the pitch and the strongest player on the pitch. But yeah, it, it felt like a night where Rovers needed to be an awful lot braver. Um, now, not help. There were a couple of injuries, and definitely Ferrugia and Clark, like the, the uh, wing backs, are crucial yeah. for everything that Rovers want to do. And Finn and Kavanagh just didn't offer a similar outlet. Mm. But yeah, I, they're going to Iceland next week. It's not over. But in terms of where the club is going and what they would see is, you know, constant progress. Mm. Like, this is the game you have to win. This is the biggest mm. game of the year. You win this, you're guaranteed a Europa Conference League playoff at a minimum. So you win the, if, if they win next week, they go play Copenhagen in the next round of the yeah. Champions League qualifiers. Even if they lose that, they go to the Europa League. Even if they lose that, <laughs> they go to the Conference League playoff. Whereas if they're beaten next week, they're into the second qualifying round of the conference. Mm. Uh, and they've got three rounds to get through to get to the group stage. So I think there'll be a bit of soul searching. You know, I was watching Wimbledon yesterday and they uh, cut to the crowd at one stage and they're like, oh, there's two two gentlemen uh, enjoying their uh, afternoon. Uh, I don't think they fully realised it was Dermot Desmond and JP McManus who were just sitting in the crowd. Right. Uh, a lot is made of Dermot Desmond's investment. I think they need to invest some more. Like You cannot afford to keep losing quality young players and not... Yeah. Mm bring a level of quality in and it's an ageing squad and they, they really looked at last night and they've looked at probably throughout this season there are three games without a win and three games without a goal as well yeah. like has Stephen Bradley hit a ceiling I know they're four points ahead of top oh, I, league, I, I, listen, I, I think it's I think Bradley maybe last night did get it wrong in terms of his midfield setup. it felt like a night very early that you needed the power of Richie Towell and, well, when Towell came on he played out on the right hand side but like Watts has been in and out this year and just couldn't really get himself involved in the game at all was it a night to play Johnny Kenny up front alongside Rory Gaffney again at home get your lead bring something uh, over to Iceland next week where they're going to be playing on a plastic pitch uh, again which is not a scenario they want to find themselves in chasing goals away from home in Europe Uh, I don't think it's a case at all that Stephen Bradley has hit a ceiling I think it's maybe a case that this group of Shamrock Rovers players have hit their ceiling and look it it looks like it'll still be enough for them to win the League of Ireland and Without huge investment, I'm sure there's any amount of League of Ireland plans saying Rovers investment. There's more investment there than there is anywhere. Yeah, but if they want to get to a scenario where they're cruising to league titles and competing, yeah, were Breedabit played down too much because they've ten or ten current or former internationals. I know maybe you could say that's Icelandic internationals, whatever the level is there. But I know Steve Bradley wasn't playing them down in advance of the game. But they're not a bad side. No, but they're third in the Icelandic league and they're 11 points off yeah. the top of the table. And here, it's the Champions League qualifiers. There's not going to be a huge amount of bad sides and it'll generally be teams who are comfortable in possession because most teams that win leagues aren't teams that sit back and go on the counter-attack. And I, I still think when you look at the form lines, and the, I met Dan McDonald outside the stadium and he was, I'll uh, steal all his lines from, from when he's on later in the week, um, that apparently the talk around Rovers having watched and Stephen Bradley had gone over and sort of watched that um, qualification tournament, that they were better than people were expecting, they were better than what the bookies were suggesting and they showed that last night. But first round of Champions League qualifiers, you got to be progressing if you're Shamrock Rovers, if you want to go where uh, you feel you're going as a club, but yeah, I, I just felt it was so flat, uh, flat around the stadium, 
didn't create enough chances. But you know, they again they're still relying on Rory Gaffney, who you know Rory's thirty three at this stage has had a great career. He's Player of the Year last year. There's nobody really coming in to take on the mantle. Johnny Kenny's done grand, but yeah. the fact he's not given a start at home in a huge European game probably shows where he's at at the moment. And I definitely think the selection in midfield, like Jack Byrne didn't have his... He, he's, he's been in a really good run of form probably up to the last couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, he got on the ball plenty, but just didn't didn't seem to have any options at all. Now, Ferrugia should be back next week uh, for the second leg, and he alone, I think, would make an enormous, enormous difference. And Trevor Clark's had a good season since coming in at, in place of Andy Lyons. But I, if they lose and if they go out here, like they have a mountain to climb yeah. to qualify for the group stage of the Conference League, which I would think is sort of the minimum requirement. Should the free kick have been saved? Yeah, I was uh, down the other end of the ground and it looked very central. Well, now, so. it was an absolute rocket. It, mm. did, look, it did look very central. Yeah, that, well. And the wall was a bit flimsy and... I don't know. Can you see it late if it's that far out? What was it? Thirty yards out, pretty much exactly. Uh, it did look as though it was a bit central. And again, another injury. You know, Alan Manis was on the bench. Maybe he comes back. Leon Paul's done okay, but I don't think he's of the quality of, of no. Manis. No, definitely not. Yeah, it was it was a strange break. Like one of those where you see it first, and you're like, oh, this is top ins. Then you see the, the angle from behind the goal. You're like, nope, not quite. Uh, just to mention uh, what's coming up between now and ten o'clock on the show this morning uh, with myself and Nathan. We will have Keith Tracy shortly around uh, ten minutes time or so uh, to look back more on that Shamrock Rovers game. Anthony Moyles ten past eight to preview the uh, uh, the All Ireland Senior Football Championship semi finals this weekend, but also the Talton Cup final between his uh, his own Meath and Down. Mickey Graham uh, has departed as Cavan Senior Football Boss this week after five seasons in charge. He'll be on the show around eight thirty. Five. Keith Wood then, 9am, he's going to pick the five best tries for which he was on the pitch. Mm. So Top sentence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how we're selling it. I've had easier ones, but, yeah. but look, that's how we're selling the, it. The stat will be good. It'll be a great the choices track. are very good. Just yep. like two weeks ago with Keith, you had to be there. Yep. Always good picks. Yep. And Michaela Walsh, then the boxer who was on last night's show, from half past nine. Eight days to go until the Republic of Ireland's first World Cup match against Australia in Brisbane. So it's the first time we've got kind of close to the team since arriving. Uh, all incredibly jet lagged, and I don't know how coherent we were when we were talking to them, but uh, they seem in good form. How, how so? The jet lag it hit you, hit you hard, and hit you fast. Yeah, like I got into Brisbane about eleven o'clock in the evening, the time like Australian time, and uh, for some reason I just keep waking up at two o'clock in the morning and not being able to go back to sleep. So yeah, I've been up since two o'clock this morning. Feeling it a little bit now at quarter to five in the evening, but also hopefully over the next couple of days. I've been given some hints and tips by some locals here who are watching open trainings, uh, people who are originally from Ireland and here to celebrate the team. Actually, one of them, I asked them who their favourite member of Off the Ball was. And Shane, you were the person that they said. So I said I would pass on. Who are you talking to? Who are these people? Like, my God. I actually, I have video and audio evidence of it, which I can send through to you. The egos, you've just heard (laughs) two massive egos in this. This, in this studio, Kathleen. Wait, two huge Wait, Kathleen, hit. does that mean you asked that person twice? So then you said, who's your no. favourite? And then I'll do it again there for video and audio. No, no, no. As in, I had it, like, I was already chatting away oh to them gosh. about, like, why they came here to visit wow. the team. Oh, Guy has lived here for, uh, wow. he's lived Shout here for shot. 30 years, and he puts AM and also the weekend show up on the big screen on the TV and uh, watches it on YouTube. What's his name? Weekend. What's his name, Kathleen? Noel. Noel, shout out to Noel. He's great from Belfast. Taste. Noel Hannon from Belfast. Yeah. Great, great taste. It's my uncle Cousin. Noel up in Belfast there. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Noel. Look how happy you are. Like, look at this. These are both devastated. I can't believe it. 
I'm not. I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just interested in those tastes. That's all. Two lads got it. So you're meeting some uh, well well versed and, and mature Irish uh, fans over there. Are there many Irish fans you're bumping into on the street? Anecdotally. Not so many on the street so far. Um, I think a lot of people are still just flying in from just talking to the couple of people that are here at the open training session. Actually, a lot of the people that are at the training session are just from Brisbane or have been living here for a while anyways. Um, there's the Queensland supporters group. So they welcomed the team into the airport when they flew in. You guys might have seen the viral photos of Katie with the baby and the whole team with the baby it was on the front pages of some of the papers at home. Yeah, so they've been doing the rounds a lot with the team and talking to various people trying to stir up a bit of activity I was also informed that the Queensland GA semi-final senior semi-final is happening on Sunday so uh, shout out to them as well no one told me who's playing and I'm waiting to get that information but well you're doing live commentary about them thing. Sunday so you don't want to find out <laughs> I know I know you're presenting be like... the trophy Kathleen actually can we get that can we organise that well, is, oh yeah Let's what's the name of the competition it is at 9am it's just the like Queensland semi-final for the gap. Oh, it's a semi-final. Okay, but for the final, yeah. you could be back. And I think it would it would be appropriate for you to uh, present the trophy to the winners. Yeah. Well, the lads, the Shane Noel and Shane, yeah, yeah. the Shane Hannon fan club were asking me, uh, did I have any good prizes? Because they have like that's a not, little... That's not exaggerate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they have like a little World Cup draw and I was joking that I could get them an off-the-ball signed jersey and they were actually very keen on the idea. I'll get so them a little like... Start it's kind of Andrew Grizzly and... We're kind of George Michael over here, I think. Really. In many ways. Reggie's still alive, so <laughs> happy days. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. It's not his favourite anymore. Is that the type of hero you want? Like, you know, I'll send, I'll send over like a little Monaghan Teddy or a, or a, or a, or a cameo It's a dark video. side to you, actually. If people wow. got to know the real you. Like, he says stuff like this off air all the time. Like, it's you, way worse. You bring it out of me, lads, you know. It's way worse off Kathleen, uh, obviously Ireland actually aren't playing in Brisbane till the last game. So, I'd, you know, I'd imagine yeah. most of the family are probably going to go straight to, to Sydney. But there are games in Brisbane, and from what I was reading yesterday, there's quite a few teams based in Brisbane as well for their trade camps. Is there much of a sense that this World Cup, the biggest ever women's World Cup, is is on the verge of kicking off? There isn't a massive amount, I have to say. Like, there's a couple of flags around the place, but it is also kind of relatively anonymous. So I've talked to a few different people in, like, say, restaurants or shops and just kind of asked them, you know... Or they'd be like, oh, what are you doing over here? And I'd say the World Cup's on. And they're kind of like, oh, yeah. And like people have a vague notion that it's on, but I don't know has the hype really set in yet. It certainly doesn't feel like it, but also I've only properly had time to wander around Brisbane for like a day now. So it could be as the week goes on, more and more of that kind of starts building up. Um, I know England are about the place and I was chatting to some of the media that are covering them and they said there's actually been quite a good hype around them, but they're also based their base is a bit further down the coast from here so I think a couple of thousand people turned up for their open training session which was quite good going considering how far away from home they are That's what I was going to ask you Kathleen I know you've only had a day or so to, to see Brisbane you've a lovely photo on the back of the, the star this morning of Amber Barrett and Heather Payne with the Brisbane nice looking skyline behind them and uh, decent looking weather as well uh, nice city so far yeah, it is really nice. Like, in fairness, yesterday was glorious. It was like 23, 24 degrees, blue skies. You're kind of wandering around. It's a little bit strange because it's winter here. So it starts getting dark at like five o'clock in the evening. And I just wasn't prepared for that, having been used to being an Irish summer. But then today we were joking that because we were pitch side where the team are training, doing these interviews. And um, the last two times we've interviewed the players in back home in Ireland in the UCD Bowl, it's absolutely lashed rain. And like, you know, the weather at home has been quite nice recently. It's like, 
like one of the few days it's lashed rain. And of course, we were chatting to Vera earlier and what happens? It starts to rain and all the like locals are like, oh, we haven't seen rain in a few days. It's lashing rain at so 6 o'clock this morning we, here. So yeah. yeah, I would. Uh, I think we just brought it with us. I would, Kathleen, describe Brisbane as underrated Being in Australia. Mm. Yeah, I live there. Oh, he lived in Brisbane. Learn me. Yeah, Sydney. Ah. But my, I have family in uh, Brisbane. Sorry, Brisbane. wait a second. A family in Brisbane. Oh. The city cat. The city cat's where it's at in Brisbane. You get that? Pope? It's like a, no, it's boat travel. That's oh. like their big. Their, it's almost like their bus over there. You go pool? everywhere in the city cat. Okay. Very cool city. Right. It yeah. is quite cool. I did actually walk by that the other day, um, and I was going to hop I on, know but then I wasn't entirely yeah. sure where I'd end up. <laughs> hipster, real hipster kind of vibe. That's why I call him Wham. Up, I think. Uh, what? Real hipster vibe in Brisbane, is it? No. Very commercial. Mm. What European city would it most be? Would it most compare to? Oh wow, you really put me on the spot here. Oh, I'm in the like commercial district where I'm sea. staying, and it's very like Canary Wharf. Like that's oh, what it yeah, feels yeah, like. Yeah. And then when you go over to the South Bank mm. and along the river, it's a lot more chill vibes. Yeah, like vaguely European at times. I think kind of yeah. reminds me of like Lisbon or something. You know, along the river there when you can go. If it's uh, a hipster Australian city you're looking for, look no further than Melbourne. Right, that's, that's the that. hipster spot. Yeah, that's, that's the part. That's really the part. Colin most enjoys that. Yeah, I didn't live there now. Uh, Kathleen, we will catch up over the next. Is there any news, Kathleen? <laughs> like she's at open training uh, yeah, a week out it, from the World Cup. I don't know doors. if you noticed, but our captain was hobbling off Sorry, the pitch yeah, the last time we saw. Is Katie all right? Is Katie, before we let you go, is Katie all right? Katie McCabe is absolutely fine. She is in full training out there. Um, she had a scan before the training session and everything. So, and she's been reviewed for the last couple of days. There are no injury concerns um, with the squad at the moment. From what I saw when I was out there, the only player who was trying training slightly to the side was Rusha Littlejohn, but also she has been doing that for the majority of training sessions um, this entire buildup. So I think like we talked before on the show about the fact that she, you know, stopped playing with her club kind of early to make sure that she stayed injury free. So possibly just that, but yeah, team is all fit and ready. Vera's excited game behind closed doors on Friday against Columbia. Um, so that will be interesting just to see, does everyone come out of that with no injuries whatsoever? And yeah, there'll be lots of content coming over the next couple of days. Uh, some Vera interviews wing their way to you through very slow Australia Wi-Fi at the All moment. Because right, I was a bit concerned that maybe you weren't in Brisbane because, you know, we've no way of, uh, you pulled a fast one here. Like you made up some convoluted <laughs> story about beating that fan of Shane Hannon. We'll which post sort that of, video. That's no all he's fast. heard. Yeah. So oh, we, no. need some vi- we, we need some visual proof here, Kathleen. Nathan, I still have the sore back from uh, the 20-hour flight over here, stuck on the tarmac in Dubai. Oh, I, thought she was, I was going to say, because she's carrying this show. I, that's what I, I, thought, like, like, <laughs> I thought she was going to go from carrying, from carrying you during the broadcast in Tala last Thursday night. That's fair. Oh, but no, she's not, she's not as cynical as us. Guys, my ego is just so not as big as yours. No, that's fair. Kathleen, <laughs> any idea when the Columbia match is kicking off? What time? It's 8 o'clock uh, Australian time, so 8 o'clock Brisbane time, which is nine hours ahead of you guys. Okay. Uh, do we, will we even hear the results? <laughs> That's of this like producer column coming in. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably won't hear the result. A lot of the time, what you get is just like a little bit of trickle of information through about it. Um, so you know, any injuries, how it went. If we got absolutely hammered, you'd probably hear it. But apart from that, you remember when they had the Germany game in Marbella? They, it was all pretty tight. Um, a few sources from outside the camp let me know what happened in that one. So maybe. <laughs> Maybe that will happen and everyone needs to tune into Koi Gig to hear more. Lest yeah. I say any more. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. Exclusive. Good. Get the Koi Gig pod wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Uh, Kathleen, we'll check in again across the next couple of days before that uh, Columbia game. Thanks a million for hopping on this evening. Sounds good. Thanks, yeah. guys. Enjoy the city, Kat.
I will. <laughs> and if you meet any, you know, fans of oh, you lads, just do te- do texts and video. That honestly, I yeah, I did leave it out that Jer and Joe were also in the list of people mentioned. Oh, so, well, so, oh, but well, AM was oh, well, well represented. How, how obvious? This guy's no creativity, no imagination. Like the two most famous people, are a big deal. Like yeah, how well. Yeah. You know, he's got the year here. Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah, it's true. Raining. Raining. Yeah, raining and defending. <laughs> Three times. Kathleen, great stuff. Thanks a million. Mm. Three times. Thanks, guys. Time, yeah. Great Three stuff. Times. As I try to deal with these two lads mumbling beside me. Um it's never easy dealing with the egos in the in the studio, but this morning it's particularly difficult. Um probably the, the most hey, egotistical. Come on. Yes, sorry, Quant. Would either of us this be the most trusted person in Ireland? Would we be on your <laughs> oh, shortlist? Yeah, sorry, obviously the, the front page is dominated by uh, a certain Ryan Tuberty, uh, Dollard War, uh, in the front of the, the star. Uh, described yesterday by his agent as the most trusted person in Ireland. Yeah. So that's the, hence, hence the, like, who is the most, let, let us know in the comments, who is the most trusted sports person in Ireland? It's Katie, Do you want to trust your sports uh, people? It's Katie Taylor, isn't it's not, it? Is it? Well, she's not in Ireland, but Katie, she's most Irish. Michal Moore Hurtig for me. Oh, trusted sports person. You trust him. Well, with the way RTE is going, you're like, let's keep an eye on these things. It's true. It's true. Shane Lowry. Yes, yeah, I, I suggested Lowry. What's trusted me? Exactly. Yeah. Shane is trusted. the most. I think Shane Lowry is the most popular sports yeah, relatable, person yeah. in Ireland. What's trusted? Padraig Harrington would be trusted, wouldn't yeah, he? Harrington, you would trust. Yeah. Like trust him with your life, like you know. That's, yeah. that's the kind of idea. Make a good decision for you. Would you yeah. trust? Harrington's a bit. Harrington can be a bit mad. Is the other thing. Yeah. Who else would you yeah. trust? Yeah, I think Harrington is definitely well-rounded enough that he would be near. That if I was to hand over a major life decision to somebody, mm. not my answer. I think Point. Harrington would be near the top. It's Seamus Coleman. Yeah, that is a great answer. He's the most trusted person. Answer. You tr- I'd, I'd, like, get, I'd let him do. Like I trust him with my life. What? One hundred percent. Here's how. Here's how good a guy Seamus Coleman is. David Myler, who's one of his best mates, <laughs> and like you wouldn't say this about one of your best mates. He goes, you know, type of guy you wouldn't mind your daughter marrying. See that? That's the definition of trust. Yeah, that's Coleman the, will be. That's a high bar. Coleman, that's a great shout, Shane. Yeah. Let us know in the comments though if you have any other thoughts. But they love you all around the world. Well, this is it. Noel Belfast knows his stuff. Uh, so any comments coming in on in Sexton, we trust this tennis tank. Uh, people are commenting on, the, on their favourite bridges Robert Hughes says Sydney and Brisbane bridges two great bridges <laughs> are, they, are they commenting? <laughs> Keen Rowe says Joe Dolan Bridge and Mullingar sensational Someone I don't know yesterday. I don't know Shane if we're talking about bridges in Australia I can think of a rather more impressive one than the one in Brisbane possibly yeah yeah there is a pretty famous I've been one. up on top of the Sydney uh, Harbour Bridge Oh really? Have you been on top of the Sydney Harbour Bridge? <laughs> oh, Cullum stand up. Oh, so Panda Cullum there. They can't. They can't. <laughs> they can't show us. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> it's the crotch shot they've all been waiting go for. On, so, go on. So uh, great stuff, Cullum. Thanks a million uh, for oh, yeah. joining us. Seven fifty six a.m. on this Wednesday morning's OTBM with myself and Nathan up until ten o'clock. Up next, we're going to have Keith Tracy live in studio. First though, Ashling talking with the Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley la- uh, after last night's match. Rory Gaffney had chances, especially in that first half. I think it was 15 minutes gone, and it was just well saved. Uh, Graham Burke coming off the bench thought he had a great impact. Yeah, we had really good chances. We had the best chances of the game. I think they had one header in the first half. That's the only chance they had in the game. Um, we got really good uh, chances, first half and second half, and uh, we just didn't obviously take them. But uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, yeah, we were frustrated uh, that we we couldn't take one of them. But, but like I said, that's the way it goes. Yeah, it's disappointing to go to, to Iceland now, the second leg, a goal down. It's not going to be easy. No, it won't be easy, but we knew tonight wouldn't be easy. They're, they're a good side. Um, and I think uh, they showed that for parts of the game. But uh, like I said, when we played to our levels and and, and um, 
we showed that we're more than a match for anyone and I feel if we bring them levels to Iceland next week I have no doubt we can win the game and go through 7.58am on this Wednesday morning's OTB AM the sports breakfast showing off the ball myself and Nathan until 10 o'clock Keith Tracy joining us in studio as well morning Keith how are you lads already? keeping well Stephen Bradley a little bit downtrodden after the match last night I think it's fair to say but um, I mean he kind of said it in advance of the game he expected this Breedoblick team to be dangerous enough and, and right he was yeah, he was he was he was very right. Uh, I think a lot of people were reading into the into the into the rankings and thinking, "Ah, Rovers will Rovers will go and beat them." But the first the first forty five minutes from Rovers was really poor for me. I think I think uh, obviously they haven't been great in the league. I know people would be screaming at top of the league, but for me, they they just haven't reached the levels that you would expect of that team and that squad. So I think it just rolled in the first ten minutes. Sean Hall loses his man in the six yard box the header goes straight at the goalkeeper that easily could have been 1-0 down that's the first 10 minutes like and make no mistake about it when when you come in and you start training your first day of pre-season you start talking about Europe the Irish clubs start talking about Europe I know they do so Shamrock Rovers have been looking forward to this so to start as slow as they did it's, I just don't understand it so but look I, I give Breda Blick a lot, of, a lot of credit I think they were better than a lot of people thought they would be and even in the ninety second minute I think they had a wide free kick and they put seven people in the box. Yeah. So they they came to play, like they yeah. didn't come to sit back and see what Rovers have. They came and I think they felt Rovers power and I think after that I think Breda Blick will be even more confident now going into the second leg. So look it's it's by no means done and dusted, but Rovers need to need to go there and win the game, which is gonna be very, very difficult. I know the vibes out of Stephen Bradley were that they knew what Breda Blick were going to bring, that they were better than what, say, the bookies were suggesting and what people were talking about in advance. Uh, the sense of the ground was that it caught the supporters by shock, how good Breda Blick were. And I do wonder with the players as well, with how fast they started the game. Because, you know, Rovers last year, okay, at time in qualification, it was the second leg and there was a sense that they had nothing to lose. But they came, they attacked really good teams, performed very strongly. But 20 minutes into that game, you're going, like, this team are a step above where Rovers are. Yeah, well, look, it's. I, w- I would say that the first half you're thinking Breda Blick are, are really, really good. This is going to be a struggle for Shamrock Rovers. But I would look to the second half, Nate, and it was a lot more competitive mm. in the second half when Rovers were at it, when they were going after people, they were pressing a little bit more. When Graham Bourke came on for about 10, 15 minutes, he started pulling strings, maybe had a few chances. And Rovers did. I, I think they had five shots on target in the game. Kavanagh had one where he cut in on his right and sort of skied it there was a lovely little angle there just to call that so they did make chances I think Stephen Bradley and Rovers should just forget about that force half because that can happen in football it's a little bit unforgiving when you're saying you know Rovers have been looking forward to this the fans have been looking forward to this you know a lot of people put all their eggs into the into the European basket a lot a lot of the Rovers fans have so to turn up and be that poor in the first 45 minutes I just hope that that isn't the difference between the two teams after the, after the two legs and it could very well be because it seems like going on the second half alone there's very little between these two teams and the goal even in itself was disappointing like Gaffney too keen to take the free kick gives the ball away and then obviously Dan Cleary is forced to make the rash challenge like just disappointing that that's how the, the goal is conceded because as you say that could be the the goal that yeah, but it, it is. These big games, they always come down to fine margins, and even the free kick itself. I thought, uh, I think it's Gaffney who's who leaves a bit of a gap, and the ball comes through the gap in the wall. And even I, I think it's fairly central. I don't like uh, criticizing goalkeepers, but when it's as central as that, I think even when when Minovic hits it, 
you know, when you hit a, a strike like that, generally when it comes off your foot, you're thinking that's hitting the back of the net. Yeah. I don't think he'd have got that feeling. So he'd have been a little bit surprised that it went in. But I get that he would have seen it late. There was gaps in the wall, which there shouldn't have been. So I think Rovers just made a couple of basic mistakes and a silly free kick they give away. But again, when they did go uh, direct to Gaffney from front to back, I thought they looked dangerous. I thought mm-hmm. Gaffney done well, won his one-on-one battles. But... Breed of Blick then adapted and went one long, one short, and he started to to figure that out as well. So look, they look like a very, very good team, but Rovers have felt that power now, so hopefully Rovers now will be at it from the off. If they can get a, a goal in the first 20 minutes over there, then you know anything can happen, but it's going to be very, very difficult from what we've seen. What did you think about Rovers' team selection last night? Uh, both team selection and tactics and the way they set up, particularly in that first half where you know Richie Towell is on the bench, Graham Burke is on the bench... Uh, obviously injury problems with the wing backs that are so crucial to them at Ferrugia felt like a massive loss last night but they didn't seem to have any link at all between Gaffney and what was behind yeah well I don't I think that was obviously down the tight I'd like to see Graham Bork play from the start whoever you want to take out there I, I'd have just wedged him in somehow I think his goals are torn so far in the league has been really really good and you look you play your best players in the biggest game but look Stephen Bradley generally gets it right so I'm not sure what's going on in the, in the background if he has a niggle or he's not feeling 100% so I'd like to see Graham Bork in there but the reason I think Rovers couldn't play through the middle is because Breda Blick were really really good they were showing mm. them into the pitch and they were sort of they were setting little traps all over the place and as soon as Rovers did go into the middle of the pitch they were closing the door they were nicking the ball and look I, I do think I say it all the time there's, there's only one team in, the, in club football that can demand that they play in every, every asset of the game and that's Manchester City anybody else if the press is good play away from it you see them once or twice they're standing on the halfway line if you start clipping balls into the channel and I know Rovers did do that a little bit more in the second half they will eventually back off so to keep forcing it and forcing it I think was it was playing in the breed of Blick's hand I, th- I think that press was good sometimes if the press is good you keep playing over the top until it gets a little bit looser and then you find the gaps you could argue this has been coming though mm. like, look at Rovers yeah. results this season ok top of the league but 25 games what was it 13 wins 8 draws 4 defeats like they've come back to the as much as maybe um, you know Dundalk Pats have improved this year maybe Derry haven't kicked on the way people have expected like Rovers have come back to the pack yeah, maybe. I, I I still feel they're in second or third gear, you know, to be to be top of the league and saying they're in they're in second or third gear. But you could say that before last night, because if yeah. you're gonna click through the gears, last night's the night you do it. That's it, but it, it really isn't that easy and, and believe me, it took me a, a big, big chunk of my playing career to believe that to understand it's it's not a tap, you don't just turn it on and off when you want. It has to be an all the time thing. So Rovers being in second and third gear in the league and still winning games, still being top of the league. They probably just got a little bit comfortable and thought we'll, we'll be okay and we'll turn it on when Europe rolls. But I guess the question I'm asking is because I think an awful lot of people would have felt watching Rovers that they are in second or third gear and it's going to happen. Actually, maybe that is them at their best. I, I don't think so. I think with the individual talent, I think if you get them all, all them players playing properly Jack Bourne, Graham Bourke, <laughs> even Aaron Green, I like Gaffney as well. I love as a player. Ferruja is a big miss when he comes back in. I, I, I do think there's a lot more to come and Stephen Bradley knows it. And, when you listen to Stephen Bradley's interviews, he doesn't panic. He, even no. even last season when they weren't playing well, uh, the start of this season, he said, don't worry, it will click. He knows what he has in the dressing room. So there's an awful lot more to come. And hopefully when uh, when they play next week, hopefully Rovers take Breedabick by, uh, by surprise and are, are a little bit better than they're expecting. The concerning thing is, and, and the Breedabick manager made this point after the match last night, Rovers have more European pedigree, they have a bigger budget and they're a bigger club mm-hmm. than Breedabick. 
it, that is that famous line with Sean Boylan stick your get your shyness out of your back pocket like the r- Irish clubs need to start like taking these games by the by the by the horns because th- this is a match that Rovers should be winning on paper yeah see you can buy into that a lot of the media will come out and say that and you buy into the rankings and you think okay on paper we should beat these but they're sprinkled with Icelandic internationals there's some internationals knocking around so they do have some pedigree the way they they try to play football and like I said in the 92nd minute when they're putting 7 players in the box this is not a shy team this is a team that want to play football so even that in itself would tell you that they're a confident bunch of lads and the way they knocked it about in the middle of the pitch some of the one-two stuff the way they press and they're all athletic they can all get around the pitch even the centre halves are quite athletic mm-hmm. as well so when they have three two at the back they can cover up the ground so look they do have weaknesses the the high line is a weakness they do uh, put an awful lot of bo- bodies forward to the press once or twice we did see Rovers Jackbone flicking it around the corner one touch stuff it's dangerous stuff if you lose it they're in, they're in your final tour but if you break the press you're running at their back three so mm-hmm. it's very very dangerous stuff but it's great to watch and Rovers will have to get it right next week I think as well, it is very difficult to acclimatise isn't the right word, but to when you go to European football, mm, you're playing champions, you're playing the best teams in their league. So, and I know I saw, I think Stewie was getting a bit of stick after the covers last night for saying that Rovers aren't being pushed hard enough in the League of Ireland by what's around them, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, uh, considering the way the league table is and they're not exactly running away f- with it, it, it that's, it, it's hard to criticise those around them there. But Rovers dominate possession in pretty much every game they yeah. play in Ireland because they're the best team, because technically they have the most gifted players. Jack Byrne can run the show in the League of Ireland. Like, this team, uh, Breda Blake, like, they won the Icelandic League. Like, they won it be, by being the best team, by being the most comfortable on the ball. There's very few teams who win their league by sitting deep, by coming at you on the counter-attack. So Rovers probably aren't used to playing against a team that are technically as good as that side were last night, even if they're not one of the best teams in Europe. Yeah, that's true. And look, Breda Blick obviously won the league last season, and I, I think they lost two or three of their better players. So that was the reason I thought they'd be weak, and then Rovers would raise their game. So yeah. I expected it to be a very, a very, very tight game overall. But I thought Rovers might be able to nick it. But look, Breda Blick are, are, are very good, very, very, uh, very compact on the ball. They they make very few mistakes and. They are good, but there is weaknesses there. When Rovers did play one or two touch, you can see them starting to make holes. They were making uh, rash challenges, but like I say, it is going to be difficult for Rovers. Nathan's right. They're not used to not having the ball, but you know sometimes you have to just fight fire with fire. If a team are are possession-based, the way to hurt them is when you nick it, go straight for the juggler. Now, teams will generally do that to Rovers, so they will know how to do it. And they just Maybe if you get somebody up front with Gaffney, Gaffney at times, I I thought he was decent last night, but I did think he was isolated. Yeah, so if you get somebody up there... Again, at home in Europe, like, should that... is it not a night where you have to put Johnny Kenny up there or you put Towel right up alongside him, the physicality of Towel getting in there? It just felt at home. Like, now they've put themselves very much behind the eight ball going to Iceland that they needed to show a little bit more ambition. Yeah, look, I, I think that Stephen Bradley and Rovers were thinking, listen, we'll put out our team, we'll do what we want. And, and I don't mean that in a... In a in a cocky way I just think they thought on paper we're better than Breda Blick we should be able yeah. to have our way with them but Breda Blick obviously knew they had something up their sleeve so I do think now next week Stephen Bradley will get a little bit more down and dirty with the tactics he might play two up front he might go from back to front a little bit more so I do think tactics will come into it a bit more but 
Yeah, I think maybe even the, even the Rovers fans, like you said, Nathan, were a little bit quiet after the start. I think even they were took by surprise with how good these were. Uh, it's, it was interesting the wording of Stephen Bradley after the match as well. He, like he didn't say, you know, sometimes you're accused of not showing teams enough respect in Europe, but he said we showed them too much respect, mm. which is a fair point. Probably you can you can sense that by the way they set up. Yeah, well, it can be a bit a bit of a surprise when you set up and you're not quite sure what you're going out to, and all of a sudden you're thinking, "Oh my God, these are decent," yeah. and you know you go chasing shadows all of a sudden. And but to be fair, again, just forget that first half because the the first half they were so so passive, they were standing off people. I remember seeing uh, now nothing came of this, but Dan Cleary was on the halfway line, and a dare left winger just literally skipped past him, Dan Bourne sold himself, and I was thinking. You, you can't do that at this level of football you can't do that you either drag them down you, you go and jockey them you slow them down you force them inside the bodies you can't just sell yourself now they recovered and nothing happened but it's just little things like that you think what what is going through your head there you're not thinking about what's behind you and it just needs to be a, a little bit sharper all over the pitch from Rovers and they can't start like that over there they're not as good as last year as part of the problem like if you look at where what they've lost from probably just over 12 months ago when Mandreo left mm. Andy Lyons has gone like Chris McCann became a really big player yeah. during the European campaign last year they haven't been able to replace them with similar quality alright Trevor Clark you know has done well this season but mm. missed out last night as well it feels as though they're in a little bit of limbo in that they have enough resources to be the best team in Ireland but it doesn't feel as though the resources are there to kick on to being a really strong competitive European side year on year like this, missing out in Conference League football even this year would be a huge setback yeah it would but look I, I do think uh, I do think it comes down to the, to the strength of the league and I, look Rovers are winning the league and I do think there's a bit of truth in what Stewie Bourne was saying last night about Rovers not being pushed if, if the competition you're up against week in week out is not quite up to the standard you're going to face in Europe then there is going to be a bit of getting used to it now the, the one thing for me is that Rovers have felt their power now. Hopefully, they will be. They know what to expect. But do, do I think Rovers are worse than they were last year? Maybe on paper, I think Lions is a is a big big miss. But again, Ferrugia, I think it will be okay when he comes back. So I think one or two injuries. I st- I think there's an awful lot more to come. I think they've the best squad by by a country mile in the league. There's an awful lot more to come. And, I just think they're underperforming at the minute. Uh, I'll put you in a, a, an awkward position. One of the things Rovers have done very well over the last few years is obviously look around the league mm-hmm. and bring in uh, players, uh, young players, to strengthen themselves. When you look at what Rovers have at the moment, are there, are there players around the league that you look at that you think they should be targeting maybe even during this transfer window? Possibly, but it's very hard to do uh, to do any business just at the minute. Well, I, for Rovers in this league, I'm sure they could have the pick of anybody in the Irish league at the minute, obviously having Europe. But look, there is little gems in there. I think there's great little footballers, but I'm not sure who they could go out and get, to be honest with you. I like the, the likes of Darren Markey at, at Drottida, you know, little little diamonds in, in the rough people like that. But look, I, I don't think it's the amount of bodies. You know, I'm looking at the bench last night, the likes of Aaron Green, uh, people coming off the bench. I think the squad is strong. I think it's it's fine. I think they'll win the league at a canter this season. So they just need to be need need to be a little bit more on it in Europe. I don't think they're as weak as maybe the first forty five minutes shown. Just looking at their record away from home in Europe, like the last few years. So after, since they've beaten uh, the Icelandic team Stjarnan in, in twenty seventeen, they've managed only two wins in fourteen away ties in Europe. So that that's concerning. That probably highlights the task that's ahead of them. Maybe yeah. Again, but I. I I think that Stephen Bradley and Rovers, when they play away from home, they tend to play exactly they would yeah, at home. More positively. Yeah, they play very positively, yeah. which, you know, obviously now looking at the facts that they've only won 2-14 away from home, 
it could probably be viewed as a little bit naive. Maybe now they need to go and win the game. So, look, I, I don't know. Do you shut up shop for the first 60 minutes, just make sure Breed Blick don't get on the scoreline and then you go and throw, throw the kitchen sink at them? Or do you go and play open, expansive football and you could be out of toy after 20 minutes? It's, it's Look, at Stephen will go and approach this. He'll have a look at what, how he thinks they can how they can hurt him. But the number one thing is to try and keep Breed Blick out. If Breed Blick score over there, it's going to be a, it's already an uphill battle, but it's going to be Mount Everest if Breed Blick score. So the number one thing is a clean sheet, keep them out. And just get your your front lads to express themselves a little bit more. Have can't be as passive as they were. Can't sell themselves like they did. And the one thing for me in in, in the whole of the ninety minutes, Rovers had you know a couple of minutes here or there where they were turning the screw, but very little momentum in the game. Very rarely were you thinking it's on the way. There's a goal coming here. There was little moments, but not enough. Not enough pressure for me. Yeah, I think they just need to keep it tight away from home now because now look last year Ferenc Farris and Ludogorets are probably a step above what they're going to play this time uh, but they just made so many stupid mistakes away from home it ended up costing them because they were brilliant then back in Tala that's like actually you know almost playing for extra time being mature about this may not be yeah. may not be the worst idea yeah well look that's it you just don't don't be out of the game at half time you know if it's still 1-0 on aggregate that's no problem just stay in the game stick around the longer it stays nil all over there the more they will get edgy because they know a sucker punch could be on the way so look I, I, I don't want Rovers to go there and play a low block and void pressure and you know just come under the cosh and hopefully you know nick it on the on the counter I do think there's a hybrid approach here they can play a little bit of football but you know when there's a 50-50 fighting ball in your own final tour just hook it into the channel yeah. you know don't be trying to get it down and play in them areas not in the first half anyway just play a hybrid approach play sensible football keep yourself in the game and then like I say when we get into the business end 60-70 minutes start making a few more risks and Hopefully, hopefully we can hit them. We should, Keith, before we go, mention some of the, the transfers involving Irish players yep. that have kind of happened over the last week or two. We, we, of course, last week heard about Nathan Collins to Brentford, uh, Chidozi Ogbenya to, to Luton Town, Ryan Manning's joined Russell Martin at Southampton, which is an interesting move for him. Uh, both worked together, of course, with Swansea. Jason Knight to Bristol City. Uh, on the back page of, this, of uh, the Sun I'm looking at here, Matt Doherty closing in on a sensational return to Wolves for free three years after Spurs paid 15 million uh, for him uh, Wolves are actually going to play Celtic in Dublin on the 29th of July both teams pulled out of a pre-season tournament in South Korea uh, promoters failing to fulfil their obligations so could have his, uh, his Wolves second debut in, in Dublin but an interesting move for, for Matt Doherty back to Wolves yeah a decent move a lot of the a lot of the moves for the Irish boys on paper are, are, are decent moves again that's a, that's a very decent move from Matt and you would expect them to, to play at Wolves I know Wolves have a decent uh, a decent defensive record under Lopetegui but hopefully now he comes in and plays even the, the Ogbeni one really gets me excited because yeah. uh, Ogbeni going to Luton you know Luton don't have millions to be thrown around you would, you would imagine now they brought him in the door that he will play so he'll uh, he'll get to cut his teeth in the Premier League and Collins to Brentford as well is, is a really really good move but people said this to me 12 months ago oh, isn't it a great move for, for Collins to be going to Wolves didn't turn out that way so this will only be a good move if Nathan plays if Nathan doesn't play you know I think the Irish team will suffer for it in the long run it's great that Doherty isn't going to Saudi Arabia for any number of reasons Uh, Wolves is just an an interesting one at the moment because it does seem there's a lot of issues around the club there was you know there was speculation at the end of the season maybe Lopetegui would go because there was no money the fact they've sold Nathan Collins the speculation around Max Kilman we sort of thought again this time last season Kilman and Collins would be the best young centre back pairing in the Premier League and would play together for five years Uh, there's talk of Kilman potentially going to Napoli another trying to keep him on a contract but that would be the one worry Matt Doherty that he's going back to a, a Wolves 
old side, albeit incredibly well coached, it seemed by Lopetegui, that are in a bit of a state of flux. But mm. from where he's been, like he just needs to play football. It's been like six months without any games at all at Atletico Madrid and even the previous couple of years been so stop-start at Tottenham like if you could get anywhere back like there hasn't been as exciting an Irish player in the Premier League yeah. since that last season Doherty you had at Wolves like it was it was exceptional yeah we do and look when he, when he plays well Matt's a, Matt's a brilliant player going forward there's obviously question marks on him in a, in a 1v1 defensive situation sometimes but going forward he, he's really really good but Lopetegui hopefully when he gets him in the door will will stand him up show him how to defend and just, just be a little bit better a little bit harder to beat in those situations but look he has everything he needs and if he plays it'll turn out to be to be a great move and I actually I do think Dottley will get back in there I think he has a he has a bit of a love for Wolves I think there's something in him that just wants to do well for that club so hopefully yeah that's a, that should be a, a decent match for, for Matt and, and for Ireland yeah couple of exciting signings Keith thanks a million for, for coming in as per usual great stuff yeah. Keith Tracy there with us on Wednesday morning's OTBAM the sports breakfast show and off the ball with myself and Nathan with you until 10 o'clock loads more still to come on the show between now and 10 o'clock uh, Anthony Moyles will be with us in studio very very shortly Mickey Graham the uh, former Cavan manager who's just left his role after five seasons in charge will join us uh, in around 20 minutes or so Keith Wood then picking his five best tries uh, for matches he was involved in but uh, up next it is Anthony Moyles' studio back in a sec OTB AM 20 past 9 approaching 20 past 8 approaching in fact I'm an hour ahead of myself uh, on uh, Wednesday morning's OTB AM the sports breakfast show on Off the Ball with myself and Nathan through till 10 o'clock Anthony Moyles is in studio morning Anthony morning Shane how are you? keeping well keeping well 3 o'clock this Saturday the big one the Tattle Cup final down in Meath <laughs> is there um, <laughs> the open top bus parade is booked in for Navin for Sunday afternoon West Meath had, had pretty big celebrations did you? Yeah. Yeah. will there yeah. be similar celebrations in Meath? Um, potentially Potentially, is there excitement for it? Uh, hard to gauge, really. I think there is. I think there is. They did a bit of an open uh, evening the other day with the players, and I believe it was a good turnout. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's at fever pitch, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's maybe simmering under the surface. <laughs> like are the flags out? Is my question. Uh, I haven't seen all the whole pile now, to be right. honest with you. When was yeah. the last time yeah. you saw a whole pile of mead flags? Uh, it's a long, it's a while. <laughs> you were playing. You were probably it's playing. A while. Yeah, yeah, could have been. No, I think, I think, uh, yeah. Weirdly, there's junior championship actually this weekend. Weirdly enough, right? Um, on so yeah, not that that may take much from it, but um, yeah, I think I think look, people are. Yeah, looking forward to it in the sense of I'd say, I'd say people are just want to see the the team develop uh, and move on and mm. try to obviously secure some of our football for next year. Um, uh, I don't know. There's a bit of a weird sense in me at the moment with the the whole thing. Uh, I I get that feeling anyway. In, yeah. in in the sense that people understand that you know it's a rebuilding process. I think there are people who are you know well behind the team, but. It's the same, you know. It's 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 a mm. it's a second level championship competition, and I suppose it's just not going to have that same kind of draw, you know. And that's just that's just been totally straight to. I guess we won't know probably until this time next year what it all means mm. for me. Is the other thing because yeah. like on the one hand, you know, winning is a habit and a very nice habit, and maybe they kick on and they bring momentum if they win at the weekend into the league next year. On the other hand. Colin O'Rourke's style of football and wanting to go a bit old school and kicking the ball in maybe that works in the Talton Cup but then you're back to reality 
Yeah, ter- mm-hmm. yeah. I think I like you know. I think the average age of the down team is probably about twenty three, twenty four. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'd say it's pretty similar on the Mead team. Mm-hmm. So two very very young teams. I think two counties that have obviously proud tradition and that need to, I suppose, realise and maybe have realised over the last one or two seasons that actually things are different now and we need to do things a la Derry you know so we need to change things in in lots of respects you know club uh, development squads how how coaches are developed how coaches are trained all the way up to the top table so I think there's still a lot of work to do there I think there's still a good bit of work to do there in Mead I'm not sure about Down um, like are, are Mead, how far are Mead off say a Cork because Cork had such a brilliant year, like, but are we far off that? I, they're not far off it in the sense. I still, I still think we're one or two probably really good forwards off it. Mm. Um, my fear for this weekend, and just to go back to Nathan's point, I think, I think this is all about development. You know, you heard Pierce Lavery talking the other day, the down captain, about development, developing the squad, getting into Sam Maguire football for next year, having that guarantee, having that card in the back pocket, mm, yeah. regardless of what goes on up in Ulster. Um, you know, for me, again, obviously the same type of thing, probably a little bit less of a treacherous road, shall we say, um, although Leinster is improving and getting a bit more competitive. So it's it's important for it's important for the lads within the squad. Listen, he, he, he as a manager is in Colm O'Rourke has now had them for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have been gone six weeks ago yeah. so now he's had an extra six to eight weeks to actually tr- train with these fellas see what they're like he's blooded loads and loads of new talent loads of fellas getting their debuts and coming on and playing so you know they're gaining confidence mm. um, you know there's there's lots of 18, 19, 20 year olds so it's good for both squads um, have any of them stood out? Yeah, I think. Well, I think Connor Gray has done very, very well. Jack Flynn has done well. They've a lot of big men around the middle. I think Dahi McGowan has done well. Um, you know, at different times they've options. Young Coffee has done well. Uh, like it's, it's. You'd probably say Jordan Morris is starting to starting yeah. to show his promise. Um, Matthew Coslo has been very, very good recently. Um, my worry with Mead coming into this game is the last time they played down, down kicked I think seventeen wide. Sixteen, seventeen yeah. wide. Yeah, so that, yeah. That's that was a, part that, of the park. Yeah, that's a haul. And Parnell Park is a tight pitch. Yeah. You know, it it it's you know, it's it's the surroundings around it. Like Crow Park, whatever I am wants to say, it plays big. Mm. It plays wide. It's very difficult to keep it compact. And Down will love that. Because Down will come at you with pace. You saw against Leash. Now that's a, that was a bit of a misnomer to be honest with you. But if they smell space and if they see the gaps are there, they will hunt goals. Yeah. And I'm a little bit worried for Mead in the sense of I think Mead's forward setup, certainly in the last while, unless he changes it. Jordan Morris, Lynch, and Matthew Costello are three kind of traditional style forwards. If you get me, you know they're not they're not the workhorses who are going to be back and just do the dog work. They're 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 excellent at what they do. Really, really good forwards, but. I just don't think in the modern game you can play three of your six in that style. Yeah. Okay, so I'd be worried that the down defence will see that and will drive them the other way, um, and you know will force them to defend back in their own half, which is not where you want those lads. So will he change that up? Um, hopefully, I think he might. Maybe he won't. Um, I would uh, because I think you need to be in the game, um, and I think you probably need to frustrate down a little bit and also do your own counter attacking. So I think he wants to he wants to deliver long ball, but I think there's a time and a place for that. Um, and I think long ball is best seen now it's delivered when you're on a counter attack. You know, yeah. to leave two lads up front and, and spray those diagonal balls in. But look, it's great. It is 
good to be in a final. It's great for the players involved. Um, they will approach this. This is this all the approach over the last week or two. Even meeting you know young fans and all that. That's all dealing with that. So it's, yeah. it's experience for the future. Hopefully for them that they're in a Leinster final or whatever it is. You know. Did see a couple of Meath and Down fans um, not complaining but voicing their opinions on, on online about the fact that this game could have maybe been put with the Kerry and Derry match. Maybe to allow more. Meath and Down fans to go I know to sell out on Saturday a lot of Dublin Monaghan fans will obviously be in Croke Park I don't know is that yeah, is there anything in that? I, I, I don't. Yeah, there might have been, but like, look, I don't, the, the players. It's minor things. Yeah, perfect. Minor Most thing. of the Mead fans want to stick around and support the Dubs as well, don't they? Of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 naturally enough. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's what you have to deal with, yeah. of course, with my colleague here on the left. Uh, but no, look, it's it's you know Nathan is actually he's he's right to some regard in the sense of. Um, Obviously, of the families, an awful lot of families that have moved into Mead from that from Dublin and obviously neighbouring counties such as Kildare, etc., etc. There has to be something to shout for for those kids. They yeah. have to be able to look up and see heroes, you know. Um, so, it, in that sense, they have to be able to see them on television. They have mm. to be able to see them in big games. So, they have to aspire to be these kids uh, or be these players. So, um, I'm actually, I'm, de- I'm definitely seeing more jerseys around and all of that different stuff. So, look, it's a good one. I, I'm not, to be honest with you, I think it's going to be a total shootout. Uh, I can't see it being right, a yeah. low-scoring game. So, <laughs> uh, don't play. No. no, no. And I think, I think Mead will probably say, right, well, we're just going to go uh, toe-to-toe with you and just see what happens um, you know so uh, it, yeah it is the uh, the curtain raiser for the half past five the, the opening semi-final between the, the Dubs and Monaghan um, like Darrow Shea writing in the papers today saying it's going to be a Dublin Kerry final Philly McMahon was echoing that last week go on Nathan you're going to be careful here be careful yeah. here right I, 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 you know I, what's going on I, I sense I'm being stitched up well exactly exactly <laughs> isn't it just Vinnie Corey's been on I need something I need yeah. something for that dressing room wall just an honour yeah. I think it's. A, I, I think if we score imagine we managed to score a point or two against the great no, Dubs right. like, share the pitch this, with them you're, even oh, you're yeah. right look you're dead right point in each half what an honour like, there's exactly, so many great yeah. stories this week you've got you know Clifford single handedly trying to lead Kerry back like the return of this great yeah. Dublin side Derry with all the brilliant oh, underage work yes. they've done and yeah, yeah. and who are the other team Mon- Monaghan are there yeah. apparently they're in the semis good time well. yeah, not yeah. a long time yeah. no exactly can you make an argument for for an upset in, the, in, that, in that game <laughs> here it is fill me full of <laughs> <fill> me full <laughs> of optimism. I'll walk you i walk you up to the cliff face by the way there yeah. and uh, off you go I think it's six, I think it's a six point six point favourite I've though. already have too much still I've still still too much vitriol coming from, <laughs> from Kerry, Kerry fans yeah, yeah. <laughs> I picked now, up a little bit of a massage yeah can I make an argument for Monaghan I actually I can I can make an argument for Monaghan like Look, Monaghan are there on credit. Um, they have absolutely deserved to be there. I think they were slightly lucky the last day. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, they were in the game, and when it looked like the game was going away from them, that never say die attitude. And that's that's not that's not a flippant argument. You can't just say, uh, you know, some teams have it and some teams genuinely mm. don't have it, and they have it. They have. We spoke about this the last day about Vinnie Curry and the embodiment of that that he has, and the players have taken that mantle. I think they have a lot of threats, Monaghan. And I yeah. think what Monaghan can do is Monaghan actually play it in quite a few different ways. Like they have obviously the McManus, 
They have the Moan threat. They have, um, you know, obviously McCarthy and the guys from wing back. So Connell, Connell, yeah. but, but they can play it in a different way. And I think what they've learned an awful lot, I was looking back on like the Derry game, you know, yeah. when they were really, they were pitiful that day. And I don't mean in a sense, but they really kind of got their eyes wide open, I think, that day. And the management team learned an awful lot about how to play a team that will sit in on top of you. Mm. And then they won't let you have that space up front. And if you remember that day, Derry brought McManus and the boys back down the pitch. They were doing a lot of defending yeah. at the far end. So Monaghan have learned and they've kind of said, OK, well, we'll use our weapons at certain times and within certain strategies and tactics involving certain teams. So I think they look at this Dublin team and say, OK, you know, is McManus, is he, is, is he the man to actually have on at the start to try to, f- try to worry that full back line? Or mm. is he someone that we can bring in? Do we want a moan type of individual who's in there at that full forward and we can we can lamp ball into him, you know, and maybe cause a bit of issues for the Dublin full back line? Um, because my, Mayo were getting mm. joy out of that before O'Shea had to come out. And I still think that man in there, a big man where you can even kick ball or hand pass ball into him and have runners coming off him, yeah. is still a threat to that Dublin team. I don't think they like to turn around and run back towards their own goal. Mm. So that's that's an area. So I think they will absolutely be in the game. I think they will probably say to themselves, which you have to do against Dublin, you have to be wary of that fast start. And you also can't, even if they get four or five or six away from you, Dublin sometimes will kind of nearly drop it back into the the fourth gear and let you come. And you have to make hay when that happens. I think they have to, and this is the brilliant thing about Monaghan, and we saw it earlier on in the year, any chances that come up for them, Mm. they have to just go for it. So if there's a goal chance... Ryan O'Toole. Ryan O'Toole. Even if it's a half goal chance, even if it's a ten percent goal chance, you know, just just go for it. Don't don't leave there with any regrets. You know, don't play a conservative game. I really can't. I I, I just no. I, I, no. I don't. I don't. I was wondering, should we all just agree here and now that no matter what way Monaghan set up, we're not going to criticise them on Monday. That if they want to they take the common yeah. style of football, if they want to hold on to possession for five or six minutes and bore the life out of a lot of us. Let them at it. I, li- Their only job is to win this game. I completely agree. Can they do that? I completely agree uh, with you. But what I can, I don't I don't think they have the arsenal, and I don't think they have to to win that game if they do that. Right. I think they have to throw up. Look, look you don't go bananas from from minute yeah. one. But what I'm saying is is that within the game you can you can you can change things at certain times. And I think they have the intelligence to do that and I think they have the ability to do that and I think they also have the players to do that. They're very, very strong down the spine and as I said, they're two of the best half backs in the country now. Yeah. They really do. Um you know their midfield is it's 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 okay. It'll mm. compete. I'd probably worry a little bit about that sector. Yeah. Um and then, you know, their half forward line are are combative and they're going to have to be because the Dublin half back line, I don't think they will play McCaffrey. I don't think they'll start him. Um regardless if he's a hundred percent or not. I think he is that, you know, that jack in the box, he's that ace in the hole that they have to come on when the game is stretched. Um so then I think it will come down to a bench situation as well. Yeah, the goal the goals thing is interesting because, uh, like in the league game when Dublin got relegated in Clonus at the end of last season, like Dublin hit one eighteen in Clonus, but Monaghan managed to put up three thirteen. So they're obviously targeting goals. I think Jack McCarron got two five or something that day. The the McManus one is interesting. Like, do you? I probably bring him off the bench like the last day. Yeah. Like the impact there that he had against Armagh was was clear and obvious. Maybe some people might disagree, but but it seems to be working so far this season because there's a lot of young, fast, 
attacking talent to that Monaghan team that, that maybe can can start the game for you. I think that's what you need. Yeah. I think that's what you need. You need you need you need to go as I say toe to toe. So so you know what Dublin will do, whether it's Merchant or they'll they'll bring that massive pace coming from the back mm. line, you know, just trying to catch it. What what can't happen is Monaghan can't really get caught in a loud type situation, which is I'm saying go toe to toe with them, but what you can't do is you can't you can't all press forward and be exposed in that quick break. Mm. Right. So I think McCarran's positioning will be interesting yeah. do you remember before where he would actually come out from full forward and he was kind of playing that quarterback role in yeah. the half forward line I think he is good at that but I think what they can do with McManus leave him on the bench do that with McCarran try to control the ball when they have it and not press so many forward and have, have the likes of McCarthy and O'Connell coming at pace and kicking those long range scores mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of how your first half would match up and if you watch most games and really, Dublin, when they did the massive damage, it was it literally was five minutes after half time. Yeah. Yeah. Like that five minute spell from 35 to 40, they scored, I think, 1 4. So they went from, I think it was maybe 1 7 to 6 to 2 8 or whatever it was. Like, I mean, they just, that, that was it. That yeah. was it. Game, Game over. over. But they squeezed them on the kickouts. They won 3 of 4. And the only one that Mayo got was the one that went over the sideline, if you remember. Mm. Um, and I think it was. Uh, the the lad who is centre half forward, sorry for Mayo. Jordan uh, Flynn? No, it wasn't Flynn that day. The anyway he was down injured. But anyway, the sideline ball went in, they lost that ball, John Small got a hand on it and the goal came from that. Yeah. So in other words, they basically won four of four kickouts. Mm. And that was the squeeze. Now, Began is massively vital in that mm. role. And I think in Began they have an ability and they have a guy who won't allow that to happen. So I think when that squeeze comes on from Dublin, which McStay referenced, you know, he's like, oh, it was, it's quite scary. And it will be. They will, they will squeeze across because of McCarthy, they've Fenton, they've Howard, they'll squeeze that whole sector. That's where Began and his position and his ability to go really long will, yeah. will, will, will help. It's interesting you mentioned the loud game because Davy Burke was in here was it last week and mm. he was obviously reacting to the criticism that Ross Common took and he said, well, like, you can't go out and do a loud deal against Dublin you're going to get absolutely hammered your your sense is there is actually a middle ground between the two of them there is a middle ground and I think you know if Mickey Hart probably had his time back again he'd go you know yeah we probably went at them and you you can get caught in that because all of a sudden you get the ball you're in a break and you you know everyone charges forward and then all of a sudden you either kick it wide or they turn you over and now they have you up the field and they transition the ball really quickly and boom it's a goal and they smell the goal. They know it's a goal because they see very quickly, actually, it's three on three here. Even if it's three on four, they think, this is a goal opportunity for us. They don't have to have the extra man. If they see three on six, they go, okay, it's not a goal opportunity. Mm. We just work our score. We work our point. But if they can sense that, they will go and do it because inevitably the first man at con or someone like that will take his man on. Yeah. And if he beats you, now we're down. Now we're, now we're equal. So there is that... There is that middle ground. I, I, I think what you have to do is you have to understand when they've the ball, what are we doing? And when we've the ball, that's where I'm kind of saying Monaghan have to be that bit more, loads of pace, you Go know. Yeah, just that kind of nearly, it's nearly controlled kind of aggression and mm. controlled kind of, not not madness, but just just having the ability to try a crossfield ball. Yeah. Put it in there. Put it in on Monaghan. Have players around them. Cause a bit of mayhem. You know, I think they have to bring that. Does Kilkenny start? I don't think so no you don't think that was just a bit of a kick up the ass I don't think so I don't think so I think when I look at the like can you drop Pascal no 
So Scully's moving well now. Yeah. And, and, and what Scully does is, it's it's really you know one of those where you have to watch him for the game because he just does stuff that people don't see. He blocks mm-hmm. off areas where fellas look up to kick and they're like, ah, there he is. You know, he's always an outball, always an outball. In your struggling in defence, you look up, boom. He's there, and he and then he'll he'll bring it those extra ten yards. So where fellas are struggling, you know the way sometimes he looks like he's kind of just languishing mm-hmm. along, but he just injects that pace and he's moving away from you. And all of a sudden you're up the pitch. You know, um, Howard is absolutely back to what I think he was a couple of years ago. Um, and then you've Con. I just don't think I don't think he finds himself into that. Bugler is is a, is a, is an interesting character in the sense of again sometimes he looks like he's playing within himself. But I think I think what they've said is is that he is a more youthful Kilkenny yes. and he can give us a bit more on the fo- on the scoring. If we're struggling with 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 Khan and we're struggling to decide, this fellow will pop over three or four points. Mm. So that's why I think he might struggle to do that. Derry Kerry at four o'clock on Sunday. Uh, a lot of yeah. Kerry fans tuning in right now, waiting to see what, yeah. uh, what you're going to say about them. But Kerry for Sam, by the way, lump on it, lump on yeah, it, yeah. all over. Is there an, Next anything? Ten years. Second, you wrote them off. I lumped on it. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like Derry, the way Derry play will be interesting to see how that fares against this Kerry team. Can can Derry get the job done on Sunday, or is it a very, very tall order? I, I think they can. Um, I don't think they will, but they can. Um, I think if you look at most games that Derry have played, if Derry get out in front of you by mm. three or four points, they they manage to control and squeeze the game. Now, I know Cork yeah. are back to within one on a couple of occasions, um, but I don't think in that game Derry were ever... I, I thought they controlled it quite well. They never panic. They never panic. They never panic. I, I think they have an unbelievable... Uh, you know, kind of self confidence and 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 awareness of what they do and how they play. Like think of think of the journey that that Terry team have come on. Like that, it's it's absolutely commendable for the whole county to win the minor during the week. Like they were absolutely brilliant. Dog shit. Four. Oh, sorry, years. I mean the minors are brilliant. See, the no, last but I'm just saying the county for five or six years. Mm. I remember Joe Brawley writing about them saying like, "Where are these? Where are we going here?" And to see where they have come to is fantastic. So, do I? I think what's what'll be interesting from Derry's perspective. I think the game, like I think it may not be a classic. Jack O'Connor has kind of already, you know, kind of warned the Kerry fans not to get too upset about it, uh, about the style of play. He understands it's going to be a total arm wrestle. Um, I think the game within the game is going to be very interesting. From so, from a Derry perspective, how will they move Morley from that central position? Mm-hmm. Tyrone fell completely into the trap and trying to play around the corner in the D, uh, little short, little you know, getting the Canavans to come around the corner and trying to compress their attack, very very narrow. And Kerry just mopped that up. Derry will bring a lot of wit to it. They will be fine with bringing the ball all the way from the from the Hogan stand side across to the the, the, the the queues. They will have not a problem with doing that. Mm. And can they move Morley? Can they do their little one where they isolate Rogers in the middle of the field and look to get a couple of scores from him? And obviously trying to get um, McGuigan on the ball and yeah. full forward because he was purring off the last day like from play. Yeah, he got five, I think, and five frees or four, four frees. He was poor a little bit the last day, but but teams are working out that if you yeah. stop him, you kind of stop Derry. Um, so so there's a question for them with Morley. They need to pull Morley out of there, um, and they need to try to create those gaps to try to get a goal or two. I think they need a goal mm-hmm. or two. Um, 
I think from their back they're fine like I mean powerful midfield uh, I think their defence is solid enough they will look to probably counter-attack but Kerry will not fall into that Kerry will know they want to counter-attack so Kerry will actually say okay if you want to do what you do we will also you know the way Derry sometimes when, when, when you're playing them they will put a lot of forwards in your half mm. so what they do is they, they, they push you right into the end line to create the space they don't just leave two lads in there they might put six people in there so that means all your defenders are actually employed what I think is Kerry will do the same so they'll put Clifford right on the end line and they'll just look for power and they'll look for you know the ability that they have in there that, that's, that I think is going to be uh, Derry's issue from a Kerry perspective it's it's most definitely going to be can they remain patient and can they get the fellas that they need to get on the ball well Sean O'Shea's performance uh, against Tyrone obviously a massive boost because now they're not just never, never just reliant on David Clifford but actually yeah. in a game like this that as you're saying is probably not going to be the greatest watch you're sort of trusting that O'Shea and Clifford between them are going to kick 11-12 points yeah <laughs> I think and it's also the the big thing and, and you know people carry people can lamp me all they want but the big question mark that I thought hung over Kerry before the Tyrone game was that I, I felt that Tyrone would bring that bit of mayhem that I'm talking yeah. about and that real intensity in the tackle certainly from you know 2 to 10 and that they would really physically uh, put it up to Kerry and they didn't they rolled over and Kerry tickled their belly a couple mm. of times and that was the end of it I think Derry will do this. Derry will definitely bring that. But I think Kerry are well able for it. As a matter of fact, Kerry did the bullying that day. No doubt about it against Tyrone. I don't think they will bully as much. But I think they will be very much in the sense of that, no, there's, like, I mean, we are well well capable for this. So they have that also. There's no question mark really over that. Yeah. Um, and as regards... Pawdy and how he plays I think Derry will have a plan for that like they will man mark him obviously and they'll go where he goes but I think it's going to be a much more of a game of it's it's going to be attritional of course but it's going to be freeze it's going to be who can take their chances and you're going to be again looking at this situation where you have your free takers are your free takers hitting kind of 90% efficiency Mm -hmm. that's where you're going to and, and when you look at both sides you're saying well Kerry may have the advantage on that side too Final prediction so we have Mickey Graham standing by the Cavan uh, outgoing Cavan manager uh, the way we do the quick picks is you pick your team 1 to 3 points 4 to 6 or 7 plus so for the Talton and the two semi-finals it's complicated isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just writes Kerry off and leaves the studio yeah, exactly. yeah. picks up the pieces yeah, exactly. margin. we're on a rough margin so how, how do you see the three games going briefly? Uh, Put you on the spot massively I think Kerry will win Dublin will win and I have to say Meade will win right fair any t- which would be the tightest of those two semi-finals you think I think uh, Kerry Derry will be tight yeah okay hopefully they'll be tight as well uh, Anthony great stuff no thanks right. for coming in as per usual Anthony Moyles with us there at uh, 8.45am approaching on uh, Wednesday morning's O2BM the sports breakfast show on Off The Ball I did just say the uh, outgoing Cavan senior football boss Mickey Graham joins us on the line now morning Mickey how are things Morning, lads. How are you keeping? Keeping well. Thanks for your patience there. Thanks for hanging on. Um, so, how, how are you feeling about this? Five five seasons in charge. A lot of ups, a lot of downs. It was, um, I, I'd imagine, a difficult decision to step away. Yeah, it was definitely, um, especially when you're involved with your own county. Um, and I would have worked with a lot of those players from underage up, from under sixteen levels right up to, to senior level. So, um, I'd be very um, close to a lot of them and. Um, 
as I said, was given two years last year, and but decided maybe to step away this last year. Was there a reason why you you, you felt the, the the extra year you didn't want to go with the, the the second year in that extension? Um, no, I just thought the demands of of it at the moment is is huge. Like five years uh, at inter county level now is 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 um, is a big thing because you look at the demands of of inter county management and any man that lasts five years and any inter county job is, is is doing well. And I think after Keir McGinney and Podge Collins, I think I was the third long serving third long serving manager. So it just shows you the dedication that's required at that level. What have the last few days been like, Mickey, uh, and the sort of messages you've been getting? Because often when inter-county managers leave, there's a, a mixed response from people in the county. Uh, the messages we've seen this morning and even I've seen online over the last few days is a real warmth towards you from the Cavan people and uh, such an appreciation for what you've done over the five years. Yeah, just unbelievable, um, the well wishes I've got since since I stepped away. I switched the phone off um, Monday evening for a couple of hours and when I put it back on it nearly exploded but it just showed you the goodwill from the cabin people and a lot of friends and, and players that I've even worked with and maybe had stepped away the last couple of years you know everybody's sending me messages and you know it's much appreciated and as I said um, all you can do when you're managing your own county is do your best and put everything into it and I believe I've done that and as I said we've had some good days and had some bad days and you know, I always said you embrace the good days while they arrive because uh, there'll be enough bad days when you're in this business. Uh, 1997, Mickey was hanging over Cavan and, and Cavan fans like a bad smell for, for so long just to get that Ulster final over the line. Um, and that COVID year, 2020, I mean, talk to us about what that meant because I know it was strange and we, we were all having to watch it on TV and with COVID there were no crowds, but that win over Donegal and that, that first Ulster title for Cavan in, in so long, that must have been so special. Yeah, it was very special. Um, the year before, obviously, Donegal bet us in the 2019 final. And I, I felt that after that game, we learned an awful lot about ourselves. We knew where we needed to get there physically. Donegal imposed themselves on us that day. So we knew that, you know, if we were to have any success, that we had to try and match these teams physically. So we put a lot of work into that. But, you know, going down to Armagh that night, we, we firmly believed that we were going to win that game. And, I have to say, in my five years there, I never seen a performance like it from the lads. You know, they just gave it everything that you could possibly ask, and um, in the way that they done it. And you know, our backs were against the wall. We were down to fourteen men twice, and you still managed to eke out eke out the the result. And as I said, while the crowd wasn't there, it was a special special night. And I think that in years to come, people will always remember where they were that night. You know what I mean? And um, as I said, it was a strange journey home, coming home from it, sitting in the car on your own, quiet roads. But once you got the cabin, um, you realised what you were after doing then. It was a special feeling. You could even see some of the bonfires coming back into Cavan as well. And I know, as I said, look, the celebrations weren't maybe what they what they could or, or should have been, uh, but for COVID. But that reaction from the Cavan people probably just highlighted, it just showed you how much ca- uh, football means in Cavan, I guess. Yeah, look, at, uh, when we got back to Kingspan Breffney Park, there was a lorry there, trailer, and we got up in it, and we thought, oh, an hour, and we're out here, but we were five hours there, and, you know, people were driving past in their cars, and but it was special for the kids, because and people themselves, that because they had been locked up for so long, just to get out for the night, it was like a day trip for them, you know, mm-hmm. and... and the lads, in fairness to them, stayed in that trailer until every single car had passed by. The town was gridlocked there for four or five hours, but it made a lot of kids um, 
kids day and as I said for a lot of people that hadn't seen Cavan win an Ulster title as well there was a lot of people that was the first time so it meant an awful lot and you'd be hoping that that would have inspired the next generation hopefully in the years to come there was definitely a yo-yo element to the to the, the uh, Allianz League campaigns over the last couple of years, like all the way down to to Division Four in twenty twenty two. But then successive promotions. So I mean, you're leaving Cavan in such a positive place in Division Two. Yeah, well, look, it, it would have been very easy when we went down to Division Four to step away and say let somebody else pick up the pieces. So I always said that you know the main aim was to get back up and be playing in the top two tiers. Division 1 and 2, there's where you need to be. And I wouldn't have been happy stepping away at that stage. So I made a, I made a promise to myself that I would try and get back up to Division 2 and try and get back playing in the Sam Maguire series. So, you know, we achieved that. But the way the competitions has gone now, lads, is that when I first came in, it was all about getting ready for championship. But now the league has nearly become the second most important competition in the calendar now after the All-Ireland series. And I think even the provincial now is pushed back into third place. You're probably the perfect man to ask about the Talton Cup and how it's worked or otherwise. Like, uh, I guess a lot of people fancied Cavan, even in the final last year against Westmeath, albeit Westmeath getting over the line. Uh, and then this year, I mean, you, you bounce back from that defeat to Armagh in the Ulster Championship, win your, your, your group games in the Talton Cup, and then come up against a very strong downside, not the draw you probably wanted. Um, how do you feel the Talton Cup has worked so far? Look, it depends on um, how what teams you know buy into it. Um, if you're looking to develop and improve, managers and teams will definitely go after and target it. Like we would have looked at, we had a number of young lads that came into the squad, and it was a great opportunity to expose them to this. And we felt like last year's Talchin Cup, why we didn't win it. You know, a couple of new lads got exposed at that level and you could see the difference in them this year. You know, they, they, they were more established. So, you know, and then the opportunity to play in the in the All-Ireland Series is up for grabs as well. That can't be underestimated. So there is teams that do take it seriously and then there's teams that when they get knocked out of the provincial championships, some of the lads have their bags packed ready for America. So, you know, that can be a hindrance too to, to some counties who are looking to progress. But definitely, I think that you look at down... And you look at Mead and you talk to either one of those them this week, they'll be more than delighted to win that Thatchin Cup. We've just been talking about Derry and the progress that they've made over the last five or six years through underage level, starting to be reflected in the senior team as well, moving up through the leagues in the Allianz League and now finding themselves in, a, in an All-Ireland semi-final and the quality that's coming through. How difficult is it for counties that are in that sort of yo-yo position to, to make sure you have the structures in place that when Calvin kick on from here when the next manager comes in, that, that you stay in Division 2, that you become an All-Ireland team, how important is it and how difficult is it to get close to that real, maybe top six, top eight teams? It is very difficult and you need the right structures in place and I believe Cavan do have the right structures in place. There's a lot of good work being done behind the scenes there. Um, we've been very competitive in Ulster the last number of years at underage a bit not maybe getting the you know a, a title an Ulster title at underage just to really um, in, inspire lads to stick at it. But yeah, look, it's important now because there's so much emphasis on the league strength and depth in panels is huge now. You need real uh, strength and depth. You look at the teams now, the top teams and the players that they're bringing off the bench. So it's become a twenty twenty one man game now. Uh, the county the county setup. So it's important that you have such uh, talent in reserve. You nearly need as good of players coming off the off the bench than you do to actually starting now. The way it's gone. Do teams and managers like yourself, uh, Mickey, uh, care about the provincial championships anymore? Because as you said, that the league has, has almost taken on such a priority and. and 
the, the provincial championships, especially when you see this year, for example, the league finals taking place, and then I think for a lot of teams, you had one week straight into the championship. You know, it almost takes away from the league finals and, and takes away from the start of the championship as well. So, where where do you stand on the provincials as things as things are currently? Yeah, look, I suppose I'm involved in one of the, probably the best provincial championship in the country in Ulster. And on any given day, anybody can beat anybody. But this was probably the first year that I felt that there wasn't a real edge to it like there was in previous years. Because I think a lot of the team, the top teams were looking further down the line. They were looking at the, the All-Ireland Series. Uh, they had put so much into the league. And trying to get the balance right where... You know, you're up for every league game. Can you keep continuing to get up for every championship game or provincial championship game and then expect to do the same? It's I don't think it's possible. I think you need to get the balance right of knowing when to, you know, try and... I think what a lot of teams do is try and consolidate the position in the, in the league's first and then to go into a block of hard training and then, you know, they're only starting to sharpen the blades come down to the provincial championships. And I think... Dublin and Kerry are two prime examples of they got it right. You know, probably didn't have brilliant league campaigns, probably got a couple of defeats, a couple of draws, but you've seen them the last day, you know, they were like a team that had time to run properly. And, you know, when you have the the, the quality that both those teams have, you can see, understand how, how they've got it right. I'm sure uh, you'll be available for any calls from the next Cavan manager with any advice. If you were giving some guidance on things you've learned this year in particular with that flow of the season and the way that it has changed, what, what are the main things you would look back on that you learned this year in particular around you know, a good league campaign but then trying to keep that momentum and fitness levels and, and all that stuff together into the summer? Yeah, look, at, I suppose when you look at the best sports in the world, even soccer and rugby teams do, especially uh, pre- professional teams, they do dip at certain times during the season because it is hard to keep that intensity and that edge up all the time. So, you know, I think, as I said, if I was going back in again next year, I would say let's target the league area on, let's consolidate a position in the league and then try and maybe get a bit of work done, but at the same time try and get promoted. But you need to be looking, if you're serious, you know, about competing in the All-Ireland Series, you need to be looking further down the line now and maybe even bypassing Ulster the way it is. It's gone now because you look at Westmead, they had a great um, All-Ireland Series, very unlucky not to come through it. But, you know, as I said, they were knocked out at the Leinster Championship. And as I said, I think that favoured them when they went into the, to the All-Ireland Series. So definitely I'd be looking at how we can get the balance right and make sure that you don't peak too soon. Because I felt after our league campaign, we did have a hit a bit of a lull and I felt we were coming back, but it was too late then, you know. What do you make of the, the state of the game at the moment, Mickey, in terms of the rule changes, I guess, in recent years? There's a lot of talk about the attacking mark and Davy Burke was in studio with us uh, very recently the last couple of weeks and he, for one, is certainly certainly not a fan of it. What do you, what do you make of the attacking mark and, I guess, the other rule changes that have been brought in? Yeah, look, and I'm not a fan of it myself. Um, back in the day when I was playing and even, you know, playing with some great, exciting players, I think the attacking mark takes away from the one-on-ones now. You know, when a lad wins an attacking mark, he'd put his hand up and kick it. Whereas years ago, when a fella won it, won that ball out in front, his first thing was to take his man on. And that brought excitement and that brought people to the edge of their seats. And we don't see enough of that now. We don't see enough of lads taking men on one-on-ones. And I think the attacking mark has, has nullified that. Because how many times have you seen somebody win an attacking mark and he is in a one-on-one situation. Wouldn't you love to see him taking him on and going for a goal? And as I said, that puts brings people to the edge of their seats and it brings great excitement. People love to see players going at men and I just think that element of our game has been lost. 
it was a reading quotes from Ricey McManaman uh, who was part of your backroom team with Calvin there in the last day or two and he was talking about one thing that people didn't realise about your, your system is the, the man management that, that you would have brought to that Calvin setup and how the players kind of bought into to everything you were doing and you look at that Calvin team I'm looking at some of the names in front of me here like uh, like Gerald McKiernan Cian Mackey Martin Riley Martin Dunn players that have been around for so long and this is the human element to it I suppose Mickey as well like you've been in a dressing room with these players for the last five years I'm sure you're going to miss the just the camaraderie and the small things even aside from the football Oh without a doubt that is the, the biggest thing I'll miss um, I treated every single player the same in there I had so much respect because of the time and dedication these boys and um, the sacrifice they make for, towards Calvin football uh, a lot of people outside wouldn't see that but yeah look at as I said I would have worked with a lot of these lads at underage level would have seen them develop the whole way through from under 16 right up to senior level and seen the footballers they become it's something that I will miss um, as I said I wouldn't have a bad word to say about any of them um, great lads to work with and it was an honour just to be sharing the same changing rooms as all these boys and uh, hopefully now as a supporter I can go and cheer them on and see them continue in their upward curve uh, inter-county management management in general often seems to be a bit of an addiction amongst people I think it was uh, 2018 was the first time you were on with us when you had the success with Mullinocta uh, and you, you went slightly over the border that time uh, with Mullinocta do you want to stay in the game you know when you've had a little bit of a break would you be interested would you manage outside of Cavan again um, I definitely think I'd manage it's, it's an addiction like you know um I love football. I love being involved. I love getting rolling up the sleeves and getting the hands dirty. And, you know, yes, it's great to see you need a break and recharge, but I'm always looking to learn. You're always looking to pick up new things. Um, I think I definitely will go around and have a look at other sports, maybe or other counties or whatever they're doing and try and, you know, keep learning and keep improving my knowledge of the game because you never stop learning. Every day is a school day. So, yeah, look, at I think if, if I walked away from it, you could... You could fall behind and the way the game is going because the game is evolving every every year and you, you just want to stay up to speed. So I never say never, I suppose. Finally, Mickey, how do you see the, the remainder of this year's uh, All-Ireland Championship going? We've got the two semi-finals this weekend. We've, of course, got the Tottenham Cup final as well. But um, Dublin and Kerry, two trains that are hard to stop at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, at, but I suppose the one thing about Monaghan is you have to give them great credit for, you know, keep sticking at it and, you know, getting to an All-Ireland semi-final. And I know for a fact that when Dublin are looking for challenge matches, Monaghan is nearly the first team to go to because they know they're going to get a hard, hard battle and they're going to be asked lots of questions. So, and Monaghan would be very familiar with with Dublin, so they'll hold no fear. Have they got enough to beat them? I, I just think they might just fall short. But uh, you know, you never know. Football's a strange game. One big performance, you know, and you never know what'll happen. The other game, I think it'll be close. I think. You know, coming down the home stretch, 60, 65 minutes, don't be surprised this game is only 9-8 or 10 all mm-hmm. because I think the, uh, Derry will look to bring it to an arm wrestle. They will look to keep it tight. And the longer that game stays tight, the more pressure piles on uh, Kerry. So if Derry can keep that game tight for as long as possible, the pressure starts to build on Kerry then, and that's where the mistakes come in. And if Derry managed to get the noses in front with a few minutes to go, it could be very hard to turn over. So I think that game could actually be quite close. Mickey, great stuff. We've got a lovely message in from Ronan Hurricane who says, uh, thanks so much for a great few years, Mickey. The joy you and the team brought to Cavan supporters in that bleak winter of 2020 after a very tough Ulster Championship draw will never be forgotten. So I think that's the, the sentiment, generally speaking, that we're, we're getting into the show this morning. So congrats on the, on the five seasons with Cavan and look, we'll look forward to seeing what, you're, what you get up to next. 
No problem, boys. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Great stuff. Mickey Graham there, the outgoing Cavan senior football manager, joining us on O2BM, the sports breakfast show, and off the ball from uh, this Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. with myself and Nathan. Here are some highlights coming up on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. We've got uh, the boxer, Michaela Walsh. Uh, we've got the news round and Rugby Daily as well. After the break, we will have Keith Wood joining myself and Nathan during the ads, though, a clip from the latest episode of the Football Pod where James, Paddy, and Tommy highlighted three things Monaghan need to do to start a chance against the Dubs. The Football, football Pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All Ireland Club Championships. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. Back in a sec. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball Yeah, 9.04am on Wednesday morning's OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball with myself and Nathan Delighted to say we have Keith Wood joining us on the line now this morning Morning Keith Morning Jeds, how are you? Keeping well, keeping well, thanks for, for hopping on we, we decided to do uh, something a little bit different and pick, um, or get you to pick rather Five uh, tries uh, for moments at which you were on the pitch so they don't have to be your tries they can be someone else's tries you just had to be on the pitch we, he picked five of his own didn't he yeah, come five, on five year old he picked tries. five of his own sorry sorry lads total narcissist uh, <laughs> had to pick all my own yeah. <laughs> yeah well you could have picked five brilliant ones of your own to be fair but uh, uh, you haven't gone that direction we'll, we'll get into them in just a second have you been following the the other 20s world championship Keith it's been it's been going very well so far and a, a brilliant Actually, final to look forward to it's been extraordinary, really, and I think with um, um, with the backdrop of of the terrible tragedy of Greg Oliver, um, how they can turn up onto the field at all has it's been quite extraordinary. So, um, um, but if you even if you put that aside, just the manner in which they're playing has been impressive. Not everything has gone well. I have to say, I love watching twenties rugby because. It's not overcoached. Mm. There's a good coaching, and but the players are very natural. <clears throat> they haven't been through a system for a long period of time. And not everybody is analysed to the hilt, hilt. Um, and and mistakes happen. And it's how these young fellas and they're very young men how they react to those mistakes. It's been it's been quite extraordinary. So not not everything's gone their way, and and they're now in a final. I mean, it's it's. They look really impressive. They've got some fantastic players, but they're playing with a great team spirit. Um, it's kind of a joy to watch. As an as an Irish nation, I think we're quite reticent to to join hype trains and to really get on board them. We've seen it in the in the football with with Evan Ferguson, for example. But the likes of Brian Gleeson, um, I mean, we're all getting pretty excited about him, and I think rightly so. I look. I think um, the standout. Um, like, like he didn't get picked in the first game. I don't know whether he's injured or not injured, but he's been for nearly every match I've watched him. It's between himself, uh, Ruan Quinn, and uh, Prendergast for man of the match. I mean, between the three of them, they're sharing the spoils all the time. Um, but Gleason looks fully formed. He looks ready for the big stage. Um, he's consistently playing well, carrying well. He runs cracking lines. <clears throat> Every time there's a big moment needed, um, any of the three of those seem to be the ones that come up trumps, and uh, and Gleason has been the pick of the bunch. Yeah, really looking forward to that final uh, on on Friday. We'll have plenty more build up uh, to that one in advance against uh, against the French. Uh, your five best tries in which you were involved, you had to be involved in the games, Keith. We'll go in in order, I guess, of of when these tries happen. So the first is 1994, the blonde locks of Simon Gagan against England. Yeah, I'm, look, it's funny. I've uh, typical of me. I've kind of changed uh, exactly what your parameters were. <laughs> I just went for five that I could remember quite comfortably, and also not ones that 
like some of these are remembered, of course they are, but not some of the, the typical ones you'd have because um, there's Brian O'Driscoll, you could have him for about 15 different ones. And I actually put him in for one because it's one of my favorite tries of all time, um, which was in the 2009 um, uh, Grand Slam game against England. <clears throat> and it was a pick and go from O'Driscoll. But it was it's one of my favorite tries because he was the guy that had to go and do it. And then I remembered I wasn't actually involved in that game. I was watching from the stand, so that was of no value to me at all. So that kind of upset me a little because it is one of my favourite tries. But I was in the stand for this one too. I was on the bench in 94 um, when... Um, uh, when when Gagan and I like I just think we missed so much from Simon Gagan uh, and he of all innocuous sounding things he retired in '97 with a bad toe injury and it just seems a, a total shame we didn't get to see him um, we saw him at his best because he was extraordinary he was an incredibly erratic and dangerous runner with the blonde flowing locks as you say but that try was an amazing one I was sitting with Ken O'Connell in the stand I can I can remember it as clearly as day I had Ken O'Connell on one side and Gary Halpin on the other and um, we rarely scored from from set piece and if I remember rightly it was either a scrum or a line out on, on the other side of the field um, but all the players just um, maybe to kick off or something I can't I'm trying to remember exactly what it was but um, when you're looking through all the names it was Bradley and um, Philip Danaher Connor O'Shea were playing there's an awful lot of guys there that are you know that coached over over the years afterwards but the it was Richard Wallace came in from the right wing to become the extra man to pass it to Gagan and still 15 yards or whatever and Ireland had beaten England in 93 and it was totally against the odds and this was the opportunity for revenge for England that's why it sticks out so much Gagan gets it holds the ball in his wrong hand which I do remember as keenly as anything hold it in his right hand running down to the left touchline and still shimmied his way into the corner and um, I mean every time he played he set the world alight I it was what probably 12 around that time and I most definitely did not grow up in rugby country but something about that day always stands out and I think it was Simon Gagan's flowing blonde locks the fact I think it was the first time in six years England had been beaten and also the sense that like this was an otherworldly try <laughs> that this was something that we just heard about that the All Blacks did it was the quality of it as well from Gagan it felt it felt at a, a difficult time in, in maybe Irish rugby life as a real seminal moment it was. I mean, it's it, funny. It's it's interesting. It was, was it seminal or not? Or did it paper over the cracks? Right. And 93 and Mick Galway had scored in 93 to to, uh, to beat England at in, um, in Lansdowne. And then by winning again over here, they were the, um, we didn't have a huge other number of victories in around that period of time. They did kind of paper over an awful lot. And I, I've always thought it was a pity but I still remember it for, for one of those things. It was old Twickenham. So it was the old stadium mm-hmm. and it was, they had the bats and the changing room. It was just, I can remember it really, like really, really keenly. Um, and, um, you know, kind of crazy that you'd have, um, I, I don't know whether it was, it was just before professionalism and it looked like it was the chance for us to kick on. It took us a long time to kick on. 
it, the, the thing about this try as well Keith I was watching it back last night is when Gagan gets the ball with that number 11 on his back it almost seems like it's fast forwarded like he, he just had the, the trickiest feet and the quickest little shimmies that, that it almost seems like he's moving at a different at a different pace to, to the other players maybe because he was well, he was. I mean, he was, but I, I called him erratic runner because he, there was elbows, knees, ankles, everything kind of going at once. Um, he was incredibly quick himself and Jim Staples were, um, um, were unbelievably fit and quick. I mean, they, they played together in London Irish, um, in around that period of time. I don't know if you remember, but, there were um, four players came from London Irish to play with Ireland from 91-92. Rob Saunders, Simon Gagan, Jim Staples and Dave Curtis in the centre. And they brought a different level almost of professionalism before before that word was even used properly at that stage. So, But they would train at a ferocious rate. Your your second pick, Keith, on uh, these list of tries uh, for, in games in which you were involved. It's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, you're going... John Bentley, I think, for uh, this. This is the try against Gauteng Lions for the Lions in '97. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. I've I've picked a couple of rugby leaguers um, in this. Bentley had come. I don't know what age he was at that stage in '97. Um, he had come from nowhere. He'd come from just changing from rugby league. Um, he was a surprise, definitely in the squad. He had a. He was a hyper guy in in in, in the squad, um, and he struggled to to um, to get into. And it's really interesting for a rugby league guy. He struggled to get into the rugby or to the defensive mindset that was required for us at that stage. And he he didn't get picked at different times. And then he eventually got picked um, to play in the second test. Um, and it was as much to do with this try as anything else. It is the best open field running um, I have ever seen. And now I know defensive setups are different now, and I know you can look back in it, but you deal with what's there in front of you and the times that were in it. And it is the maziest, most powerful, most changing of direction and nearly running out of gas at the end. But he gets the ball sort of 10, 15 yards outside um, outside our own 22. So playing against the Houghton Lions um, and burns a couple of forwards on the outside. I mean, it's a real thinking try because he sees who's around him. He sees what he's having to deal with. And he said, I can't go there. I can't go there. I can't go there. And the reason it's a great try is because from a guy who hadn't played a lot of rugby union, in rugby league, you can die with the ball, you know, you, and um, those guys will, will um, sorry, in rugby league, you, you can die with the ball and it's uh, another phase starts again, right? Uh, in rugby union, you can't. So if you lose your support, it's a disaster. Mm. And this is a guy who consistently found where the support was, but he never used them at all. He never needed to. And he backed himself all the way to the end. It is one of the great tries of all time. There's a real Jim Brown NFL running back vibe to this one because it's 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 finding the gaps, isn't it? It's really really smart observational play because he clearly has his eyes wide open, his head up, and and he's finding those gaps. 
Well, head up and engaging who's in front of him and saying, yeah, he can't catch me if I go on the outside. So I'm going on the outside. That's no bother for me. And then saying back, you know, I'm in a bit of panic there. No, he's too quick. Uh, let's step off. But it's the quality of his step and his hip work. And um, like you're talking awful lot in, in rugby about having your hips square and just watching the manner under which he shifts right to left in particular. Um, is extraordinary because it's on the spot. It's quite extraordinary. That was a, a midweek game and it was interesting uh, reading this morning his thoughts on that. The Lions have been beaten the Saturday beforehand and he sort of felt maybe his his opportunity to get himself in and around the, the Saturday squad again was probably gone. So that bit of personal pressure that was on him as well to pull out a moment like that probably showed just why he needed to be in around the Test 23 I roomed with, with Bentley for, for about a week at one stage and it was tough because um, like I, I talked about it with the under 20s they're young men you know and there's a human thing here and everybody thinks they see the glory on the Saturday or whatever whatever it is but um, this is one of your dreams you know and your dreams get broken or or they get delivered to you every week depending on selection so everybody's kind of up and down in that period of time as to what's happening and it's it's incredibly tough and i can tell you that that week because he hadn't had you know he hadn't had the look the look in um this is a performance that comes from from um uh, you know, from being totally disconsolate and not getting picked, and it's extraordinary, and it is off the chart as a try. Yeah, and there was the, uh, I think his, his his career, generally speaking, like he would have, as you say, he he was not expecting to be in this this Lions squad. He was thirty or thirty one, I, I think, at the time. Fran Cotton obviously gives him the call and asks himself to to make himself available. You were saying there, Keith, uh, at the start that he's he was a character. He was one of these these guys around the camp. I guess you need that in Lions tours as well, don't you, lads? Who are a bit of crack and maybe bring something else? Well, it's energy is what you need, you know, and you want to have a bit of fun and, and all that sort of stuff. But it's it's hard. It's unbelievably hard. I mean, I, I look, we've talked about the line so often uh, on the show and I have, I actually deliberately put up that. Yeah, it's a new studio. I'm, in, I'm admiring the new me, studio. Yeah, here. But I put up the new, uh, or that lines picture for it just for this. But it was, um, it was just so incredibly difficult and um, it was in the first year of professionalism um, nobody really understood what professionalism was um, um, it was getting paid that was about all it was and it was trying to get the other attitudes going uh, for me it was a seminal moment in that um, actually I got to see how a lot of the rugby league guys trained because they were professional and had been all their lives and they had a different attitude to it. And um, I wouldn't say less emotional, but they kept their emotions um, kind of clued in really for on the field stuff. And it was like, it was, it was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, I was talking about Simon Gagan and, and we hadn't been winning an awful lot in the years beforehand. This was an opportunity to win on the world stage. So it's the pressure is huge, but the joy from it's huge too. Your third pick is the same year against South Africa for the Lions, Alan Tate. Uh, and again, another brilliant try. Matt Dawson from watching the back was heavily involved in this move as well. But uh, Cape Town stunned. 
Yeah, I look, I put this in because of the importance of it. And we had had a, an incredibly difficult, it was the first test and we'd had um, um, an incredibly difficult opening 30 minutes where we were getting screwed into the ground in, in, in the scrum. Um, we were trying to fight the, their traditional strength and it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. And you know you can hold that for a period of time and you're wondering who flinches first and they flinched first after about 30 minutes Wally got on top of Oz Durant uh, in the scrum and which was one of the great performances of all time and uh, from, from a tight head and then in the, in the middle of the second half because you're not changing the, the, the front row after 55 minutes or 50 minutes as you do now you still get the opportunity to try and get on top of them in the second half and we got on top of them we it was like ludicrously tiring and you're kind of nearly on the point of giving up and our backs just started you know picking whatever hole was there they picked it Jenkins was kicking everything over uh, Dawson pulled out a big wide pass a couple of pop passes it got to um, Tim Rodbert and Rodbert was um, known as this incredibly hard bruising uh, number eight for England but his pass is a pass of absolute genius out over the top you know and very soft little hands and Tate scores in the corner and Tatey was the most enthusiastic trainer I've ever seen in my life right. so the amount of joy that was given from everybody else watching him scoring that try that's way out there I have to say and one thing that hasn't changed, I guess, about playing those South African teams over the years has been the the physicality of of the Springboks. And I think um, I think it was Alan Tate in one of the interviews after that match and after that series. He was saying the dressing room after these games was like an A and E unit. You know, you had bodies just lying everywhere, lying everywhere, covered in ice, um, different times as well. So um, rocking was allowed, and so rocking is allowed. Everybody is striped. We all looked like we were sponsored by Adidas, and you know, it's just you're just but wrecked after it mm. and, and we weren't as fit as the guys are like nowhere near as fit as the guys are today and we were playing 80 minutes and we were probably playing 35 and 40 matches a season so and this is at the end of a season and you're you're trying to stay fit so for the last week of that Lions tour I think there was about seven or eight people turned up for training on the Monday morning everybody else was wrecked Jesus just uh, your memories of 10 minutes to go in that game like you spoke about do I want it like trying to keep the energy levels up I think you were trailing by a point it's Cape Town it's a Lions test the expectation the pressure it's the world champions what are your memories of, of what it's like with, with 10 minutes to go in a game like that well, well, that one was a little. I mean, we pulled away at the end in that one. The second test was the one that was the 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 point the point in it, and it was there was a relief in this one um, in, in 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 Cape Town. There was a there was a relief in the game, and um, because it, it was so negative in terms of the the presumption was we were going to get hockeyed. So when that doesn't happen. Um, and you're able to enjoy the last few minutes of, of, of a game, it's unbelievable. Fast forward to the following week when 
and we made very few mistakes in the first test. We made a few in the second. Now we had the pressure because we'd beaten them. Now they were going to prove how how right they were and how wrong we were. And but we were a proper target within their 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 scope at that stage. That last ten minutes of the second test is the hardest ten minutes I ever put down in my life. It was just it was horrendous. Um, um, I, I did nearly give up, and I've I've told that story. I think I don't know if I've told it on here, but I I, I tore my ankle ligaments in the first test, and we just strapped it up and played on, and then said, "Look, we'll play the second one. Keep strapping it up. You know, you'll be fine." And um, about fifteen minutes to go in the second test, I was down on the ground, and I'd felt I nearly gave up, and I was on the point of giving up until I caught. Um, uh, um, Scott Gibbs I and I knew he knew, I knew he realised I was going to give up and actually the fact of him seeing seeing me I was embarrassed and um, I didn't give up for that reason because I knew I kind of half chickened out and I could he knew I knew and I knew he knew and he roared at me get up off the ground get back into the line there was a, fair, a few more expletives in it and make the next tackle and I got up and I ran back and I was in a lot of pain my ankle was in a lot of pain I just ignored it for the, for the rest of the game um, and then we I tore my groin in the last couple of minutes of the game and and I went to come off and they wouldn't let me come off so I scrummaged a couple of scrums at the end of it and so when everybody is saying how great it this wasn't it's a, a Lions victory. There's nowhere for me to be seen. I just I limp off after the game. I I was never as happy and I was never as sad and tired almost at the same time. It was the hardest thing to kind of to go in. And so I have a huge amount of time when people win uh, trophies or um, elements. The effort that goes into that. Everybody talks about the glory, but the pain the pain that goes into that is pretty extraordinary. That must be such an, an alien feeling, Woody, for a, for a professional sports person, like that feeling of wanting to give up and uh, and knowing you can't or you shouldn't, but that you're almost being betrayed by your own body. Well, I was, yeah. Well, I tell you what, that's the joy of team sport because uh, I would have walked off the field if I hadn't caught Scott Gibbs's eye, I think. Um, I remember we were, we were talking about it a couple of years afterwards, but, well, maybe about 10 years afterwards. And... I'd never mentioned it to him and we just had the conversation and he said, he said, I knew you wanted to give up. He said, I could see it. And I said, yeah, I felt I'd given it all actually. And, um, and that's what, that's the great thing of, 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 of teams is you have to share the load. Everybody who thinks they can do anything on their own. I mean, how average is that? So you do it with the support of others. Um, yeah, that's a brilliant one. And again, Alan uh, Tate, someone who was a, a, a dual code player. So uh, again, and I think he moved from centre, didn't he, to the wing? Centre to the wing. Again, he was a rugby league guy who'd 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 come in. Um, uh, he was infectious in training. So we'd a good few in there. We'd Alan Bateman. We'd Scott Gibbs. Scott Quinnell had played. Mm. Um, so there was a good crew that had come across. So um, uh, it was interesting for us because it gave us an insight that we didn't have. Your penultimate try that you're picking, Keith, is John Hayes' try against Toulouse in uh, 2003. This is the one where, where he just burst through the line and the pace of Hayes is, is quite extraordinary. I know. That was the, I love that one because Hayes is in that... Um, is in that I think he's in that play three times. <laughs> and it was... We were going down to Toulouse. It was... 
we're down within Bordeaux. Um, I remember we had watched the draw. Um, I think it was a christening um, for one of. I'm wondering whether it was uh, a christening for for some. Anyway, I can't remember or uh, an engagement party or something. And so it's something to do with John Langford. I remember anyway. And up in Foley's house, and um, and the line was because nobody. We absolutely didn't want to play Toulouse. And nobody wanted to play them down in the south of France. And the line was, well, we just have to go and beat them then. And we all kind of laughed. And that was that was it. And we went down. It was 27 or 8 degrees, far too hot um, to be playing rugby. And the crowd was magic. Um, there was a spill ball. I, I, I think um, uh, Califano spilled a ball. He was a, he was a really, really interesting French prop. A great, great guy. Really interesting. He dropped a ball. Hayes won the turnover. So that's the great joy of this is in my memory of it too. Hayes wins the, 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 the turnover. Um, we have a bit of a run of it. Um, I get past the ball. I have a bit of a sprint, um, down the, down the outside. Um, Entomac, uh, the father of, um, or Natomac as Papi then you call him. Entomac, um, tackled me, actually tore my calf. That was, uh, right. that was an, Another injury, so I'm still on the ground for a while. It's the best, one of the best team tries. Everybody links into it. We have an opportunity to score. We don't score. Um, the ball goes back out on the outside. I think um, uh, Foley takes it back in to find cover. Um, uh, I think was it was it Raj? Did Raj get back involved into it? Um, takes a wrong line, but it's a right line and passes it back in. Hayes has cleared out a rook. He's in that rook on the floor for maybe thirty seconds, and when he stands up the next time, someone passes him the ball and he runs the three yards in over for the line. He's in it three times. He's done a huge amount of work on the hottest bloody day of all time, um, but it's one of the great tries. You didn't pick one of your own tries, Keith, but I think you're uh, you're doing yourself a disservice with your role in that try. <laughs> you were like a rocket. Well, I got a bit of space, you see, and if you if you get up ahead of speed, you're fine, you know. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, it was good, Nick, at that at that stage until that until I tore my bloody um, tore my calf. So, um, must yeah, have been about fifty was, yards. Was it fifty or sixty yards? You must have run. That was a short look. You run whatever is in front of you. You can <laughs> you got a yard, you got a yard you longer with every passing year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It could have been 10 yards or 20 yards. Which, uh, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, yeah, a bit of pace. A bit what, of pace back in the day. What was the ball like to come up against in, in, in training? Uh, horrible. <laughs> I, I, I kind of I um, cheap shot at him a couple of times in training early um, where he'd get caught in the wrong side. Um, and he was like an Im- immovable object. So the next time he'd go in, he'd just hit you with his hip and it's just it's a dead weight like Hayes is a, we I went I uh, had an argument with the IRFU and, uh, over proper sized beds in the Berkeley court when we stayed there years ago and I used Hayes as the example to stand in the doorway while I was complaining to the manager of the hotel <laughs> he stood in the doorway and the only light that came in was over his shoulders his head was touching the top of the door his, both his shoulders were touching the frames of the door and I said, and you expect him to sleep in, in a small bed? I said, he can't even stand in a doorway. But um, ah, he was, look, I think, again, guys who, who make the most of their talent. And um, John was, 
if John got into a good position in the scrum the way the scrum was, he'd be fantastic now because the lack of hit in the scrum uh, that's there now would make him truly extraordinary. But if he got himself into a good position in a scrum, he was immovable. Uh, if he didn't, it was hard because he was six foot four. And so sometimes on that hit in the scrum, he'd get caught in a bad position. And because he was that big, he was put under pressure. Um, but he was the most honest player that you had. He was the best line-out lifter in world rugby, bar none. Um, and himself and Jason Leonard would have vied for the best um, uh, best uh, rook defence, uh, pillar defence. The two of them were phenomenal. But his lifting in the line-out was, was uh, you know, off the chart. At a time when, when it was only com- kind of coming in, he was just, sure, he gave... Mick Galway an extra two or three years. I often said that Galway should be buying him pints for the rest of his life. We gave him an extra few years because Mick was not known for his vertical leap. So um, having John Hayes as a tractor behind him was pretty fantastic. Keith, if we were talking about Simon Gagan earlier, and maybe that was a bit of an outlier of that that period. That day against Toulouse and going down to, I think it was in Bordeaux, was it, in the sunshine and scoring a try of that quality and then Rogers' try of similar quality in the second half. I know the season doesn't end the way you would have wanted in the final from a Munster point of view, but how do you reflect on that performance and the importance of what came afterwards for Munster? I, I think there I think there was a whole variety of firsts on that on that trip. Beating Saracens, beating Saracens away, um, um, beating beating Toulouse in France was extraordinary. The reaction of the crowd was extraordinary. Um, the lack of separation between the team and the crowd was extraordinary. Um, Stringer and Raj taking control of games was pretty amazing for guys of that age. So that was that was pretty fantastic as well. Um, we we had an unusual mixture of a team. Um, but again, when you look at the team, you look at how many of those guys became coaches, like so many of them did. Um, Raj, um, Dutchie Holland, um, um, Anthony Foley. You know, there was there was an awful lot of guys who went into coaching then afterwards. You know, there was there was an awful lot to love in that monster team. And again, look, we said it last week, you'd like to have gone a bit further and, and got the win, but but we didn't get the win. But an awful lot was done on that. I, I, what I remember from that trip, actually, was in the airport, everybody just chatting, all the fans, all the team, just kind of all milling around. It was, yeah, it was, look, it was, a, it was a brilliant journey. It didn't quite get to the destination that was wanted in that time, but it did in the years ahead. The final try you've picked, Keith, is Alan Quinlan, uh, try against Argentina in, in the World Cup in October 2003. Uh, we'll have Quinny on tomorrow morning, so we'll absolutely love you picking this one, to be fair. And look, you had, a, you had an important role to play in this one. Your break leads to the Quinny try, generally speaking. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting one for a variety of reasons. And um, um, Quinny was in and out of the team at the time, and um, it was a... I, he look. I thought he was he was an extraordinary lineout player, right? and he really was. And he was in, extraordinarily messy to the opposition. He used to upset everybody at every stage whenever he possibly could. And he'd get picked and wouldn't get picked, and he'd get sin binned in odd time. And there was things used to drive him absolutely mad. And I remember uh, on, on, for this World Cup again. Now we're talking tired for me. It was the most tired. Was, I hadn't played a full game in. 12 months so I was unbelievably knackered at the end of this but 
um, we had set up as well as we could for a whole variety of different things. So I used to defend at the back of the line out. Um, Quinny was always in around the back of the line out, but he'd worked so hard on on getting his head around the discipline required. And I, I couldn't believe how well he trained. That's one of the reasons this goes in. Like all these, these are good tries and... But I, the emotion I remember for them, that's the kind of the, the common link for me. But Quinny was awesome. Um, at, on that World Cup, everything had aligned. And uh, so I find this incredibly poignant um, because um, I get a ball at the back. I used to defend at the back of the line out. It's an overthrow. I used to defend there to, to cover Raj. Um, we'd always have an extra forward that would go out. Um, Roger would get targeted quite a lot and you don't want huge centres getting a pop ball running at a, at a light 10 so you'd always try and have extra forwards out if you could traditionally the hooker would defend at the front of the lineup, but I used to defend at the back um, and then when the ball goes goes loose it bobbles um, uh, you know I pick it up and off I go you know and it, there's a half a bit of a dummy and a show and a go <laughs> Um, and I was I was flying at that stage, and so the reason it's it's a great score is Quinny is going in a million miles an hour. Mm-hmm. He is only like he is only thinking of one thing, and bearing in mind I didn't pass the ball that often. He his expectation for me to pass was interesting, but he could he would have, if he wasn't hitting a rook, he was expecting the pass. He got the pass. Um, uh, thankfully, I passed it. Um, but he is going at full tilt. Um, and I think he gets it around the 22 and scores. And in scoring, dislocates his shoulder. Yeah. That- that's, the, that's the thing, because I kept slagging him afterwards that he was a martyr, that he gave his shoulder for Ireland, you know. And But I actually think we missed out on not having him for for um, for the rest of it, because I, I thought he was, a, he was just, I just thought he was in the best shape mentally and physically in his career I, you know and so it's an incredible score and it's the score like we won that game by a point I think yeah. you know and, and it was a score that was, was needed to be done um, and as I said if he'd slowed down to try and hit the rook that wasn't going to be a try he, he wasn't going to have the pace to get there so he he fully expected so he did the positive play that's that's what marks that out has been fantastic yeah. Um he was at full tilt. It was 16 points to 15, the final score of that game in Adelaide and, and secured the, the quarter-final spot in that World Cup in 2003. As you say, like Ignacio Corleto, I think, is the Argentinian player that, that's chasing him down. It's the pick-up from yourself. You pick it up so fast on the move, which is which is uh, quite remarkable to watch back. And then the offload. And as you say, like when you watch it back, Quinney is in some distress like, with that dislocated shoulder. And I'm just reading the articles. He ends up missing the... Missing the Six Nations, I think, as well, the following year. So clearly a serious injury, and he's in serious pain after that one. Oh yeah, it was. Look, he looked in agony. He was in agony. Um, it was a, it was a, a crazy atmosphere that one because we'd lost four years previously in Lance against Argentina. Um, I remember uh, someone telling me that this actually, uh, someone from the IRFU telling me, by the way, if you lose this game, we lose about seven and a half million quid in funding. And he said, you might want to tell that to the rest of the players. I said, no, I think I keep that one to myself. Um, uh, I won't tell the boys that one. But the pressure was palpable. It's an unusual. It's the Don, Don Bradman Stadium in Adelaide, and it's a, cr- a cricket oval. 
and the proximity of the of the the fans to the players, uh, you know, they're miles away, and it's it just had it, it was the most eerie atmosphere, and I've never felt pressure like it. Actually, the pressure was all the way to the end of that game. Um, so on that one, we we wouldn't have got there without Quinny. Yeah pressure not least when you hear the financial repercussions for sure uh, Keith brilliant stuff really enjoyed those picks um, and some great memories there thanks a million for hopping on cheers gents a little bit random yet again but never mind uh, as always but listen the people enjoyed it I certainly enjoyed those picks uh, some brilliant tries in there and uh, sure, listen, we'll get your five your best five tries at some cheers. point soon <laughs> brilliant stuff Keith Weather joining us on the line 9.39am on Wednesday mornings OTBM with myself and Nathan Nathan thanks a million this morning. Pleasure as always. You're not giving Monon any hope. Uh, you've really brought me back down to uh, it. Listening to Anthony Moyles there, I felt maybe a little bit a little bit more confident, but no, <laughs> not quite. Uh, your ego is just hurt because uh, the guy from Belfast over in Brisbane was was asking for me and not yourself. Yeah, no, I've uh, been on Kathleen. I've uh, right. no more video to come back unless okay. I get, a, get a mention. Correct the record for Sports Broadcaster of the Year Nathan Murphy yeah. Nathan thanks a million uh, on tomorrow's show upcoming my, uh, Johnny Ward will be alongside myself in studio we'll have comedian Eric Lawlers you had to be there looking forward to that uh, we will preview Dublin versus Monaghan Paul Finley and Jason Sherlock will join us to look ahead to that big game in Croke Park on Saturday Alan Quinlan uh, just speaking of him there will preview the Ireland 20s final against France on Friday evening we'll also talk about that try as well we can't we can't not and the dislocated shoulder that, that ensued uh, plus plenty more besides have a wonderful Wednesday OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.